Hey, welcome to the 263rd episode of The Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanformheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm still talking about uh, Fantastic Four, John Burns, Fantastic Four, or like 1984, talking about that. She-Hulk's on a team. Um, some tragic stuff's happening. It's just a, such a such a great era in the Fantastic Four. And sometimes I talk about movies and other things, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four at ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So this week, the move, there is a, a surprise movie feature. Um, I mentioned, I think I may, may have mentioned last week that it was maybe going to be Pinocchio on Disney plus. I haven't watched that yet. I watch it someday. I wasn't like super excited. I like Pinocchio. I, I, I don't know. There's just so much other stuff to watch. I actually, uh, I discovered this movie called barbarian that's, that's in theaters and, uh, it is something. So you, you hear about that. I mean, like, holy, you're just watching the trailer. It seemed a little like, okay, this, it looks creepy, you know, the trailer, it looks a little cliche. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go see it. So I ordered or bought my ticket. And then I was looking, Rotten Tomato Store started, started coming out. It's like 92%, I think it's like 93% or something like that. I'm like, holy crap, it's getting good reviews. That's awesome. I liked it. So you can hear about that. Um, there, Cobra Kai is out now and it was just such a crazy weekend. I didn't have a lot of time for anything. So I was just, there's just like no way I could do it. And again, part of me, I'm just, I'm just so bitter about the fact that the whole season drops at once. And I know some people love that. And I know I keep complaining that I don't love that, but it just makes me feel like, you know, so here I'm not gonna be able to talk about it. So by the time this episode is out, it's been out for what, three days, four days. And then I feel like, well, people have probably already watched it all because it's just a 30 minute show. And then, yeah. So I, and I don't even know if I'll be able to watch it all by next week. So I may break it down for the next couple, but I, I'm just bummed. And then there's a uh, more Lord of the Rings, more She-Hulk, more Harley Quinn, star girl, more uh, the patient or house of the dragon and Rick and Morty's back. So you can hear about all that. But let's get to some news. So this kind of threw me off for a bit. There is a, a trailer for Black Adam. I'm like, wait, why are they releasing a trailer when the movie was you know, pushed back a year or whatever like that? And then I realized, no, it's not Black Adam that was pushed back. It was Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and Aquaman 2. So we get a trailer. I still don't know how I feel about it. So, you know, we we see stuff, you know, Black Adam, his son sacrificed himself or whatever to save him. His powers aren't a gift, it's a curse, blah, 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 all this like that. I just, I yeah, I like Dwayne Johnson. I, I, I really enjoy his movies, and I'm sure he's going to be good at this. I just don't see him as Black Adam, just like I don't see or hear his voice as Crypto. So I... 
I, we'll see. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm sure it'll, it'll be a, a, a decent movie and all that. In the trailer, I don't know if this was announced before. Maybe I just missed it, forgot about it, or never heard about it. But Amanda, you see Amanda Waller, Viola Davis. So that that's cool that they have her. And, you know, there's more mention of, like, the Justice Society and everything. Because, you know, we know Hawkman and Adam Smasher and, you know, others are in there. So who knows? It, it, it could, be, uh, could be interesting. That's supposed to be October 21st. So it feels like that's going to come up sooner rather than later. There was a, apparently there was a trailer for Picard season three, which I meant to watch. I forgot to watch it. So we'll, we'll see about, about that. Going back to Warner Brothers. So the, the Warner Brothers Discovery CEO, CFO, not CEO, CFO, he's kind of complaining about the, the, the backlash over canceling Batgirl. He, he says that it's basically the media's fault for blowing it out of proportion. You're, we're talking about a $90 million movie that's getting canceled. And it's not so much about that. It's For me, what, what kind of bums me out, I, I feel bad for the people involved. So, yes, I would like to see it. Is it going to, like, affect my life if I never get to see it? Not really. You know, whatever. So... My problem is the fact that all these people that are working their butts off, you know, pouring their blood, sweat, and tears or whatever into this, and then it's just poof, it's gone. You know, there's talks like the directors, like they couldn't even, they're, whatever footage they shot, it's like it's removed from the server. So it's just, and the fact that it's one thing if the movie was really bad, but then I feel like it shouldn't get to that point. You know, there, there should be, like, overseeing stuff. I mean, you look at the script, you look at the cast, you know. So if what makes it a, what made it so bad? Was it the story? That shouldn't have happened. And, you know, they, they should be have people, like, making sure the script is really good. I, I don't know what it is. And, and it could just be, you know, with this new CEO or whatever, they want to go certain directions and maybe this doesn't fit. But you could always... I don't know. You know, they they could have released it and just say, "Oh, okay, that doesn't that's not in our continuity." And because you know, what is a continuity now? Who who knows where it's at and what they're going to do? But so so that's that's my problem is that it's it, we don't get to see it. And the people that you know worked hard, I I would be so incredibly bummed. Even if if I was playing rascally thug number two, and then my it's just gone. Right? So. It's just it's too bad. Uh, there, there's a, a lot of trailers and, and stuff that, that came out. So I've been talking about Quantum Leap. I I don't know what what it is about me and Quantum Leap. I like the show, and I didn't like religiously watch the show. I think I caught more of it on like USA or what you know some sort of syndication. And I I thought Scott Bakula was was charming in in the role. You know, the idea of him traveling through time, entering someone's body, trying to figure out where the heck and who the heck he is and then what wrong is he supposed to write and all this stuff like that. It just always seems so weird, the fact that he's, like, trying to change history and everything like that, you know, trying to change things for the better. And uh, it was just just a really good show. And it just is fun and silly, you know, nothing – like super serious so with this show you know we're, we're learning more from the trailer you know like what's going on what is the connection and how is this continuation happening so it takes place apparently in 2022 which i i kind of have a problem with that i think they should have moved it up a little bit because that puts it in the present and 2022 before you you know it it's going to be over and it's gonna be, we're going to be in 2023 but whatever 
so we we basically see I forget the dude the actor's name and the character that are in the, in the role you know or time traveling whatever and when he time travels he's like there, there's like this memory loss issue and, and that's something that Scott Bakula's character I, I from I barely remember this that you know he dealt with this forgetting like the memory of his wife or you know stuff like that so here he's like not really sure what's going on his um hologram person or wh- whatever uh, her name is Addison something like that so she has to explain things to him and you you get the idea i think it's been confirmed that they're sort of like romantically evolved or something like that but he doesn't even recognize her so it, it'll be interesting to, to see with that and of course you know as i mentioned he's like well you know what happens if the person when i'm in their body if they die and she's like well you die too so you know that that puts a little little kink in it where you have to take it seriously so you know that's a good thing uh, another good thing if you're a Star Wars Rebels fan, so in the Star Wars Ahsoka show, Ezra Bridger, <laughs> I, that, that slight pause, which I, I could have tried to cut out, I was going to say the actor's name first, but I was like, should I say the actor's name or the character's name? So Ezra Bridger from Star Wars Rebels has been cast. So Iman Fondi is going to be playing Ezra. So that's... That's cool. If you remember, see, part of me feels like, oh, I shouldn't spoil how Star Wars Rebels ended in case you haven't um, watched it yet. But it's going to pick up from there. You know, there's been some hints when we saw Ahsoka and and The Mandalorian. So I I can't wait to see what they're going to do with this and what what that means. Amazon has a new show coming out called The Peripheral. So Chloe Grace Moretz is in there. And this is coming out on October 21st. I don't know why I was about to say August. October 21st. And this is from the Westworld co-creators from Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. So I think they they signed on for some like Amazon first look deal or something like that. And um, it has to do with like the future, like two different futures. And some, I don't really know what's going on. It looks kind of trippy. And Chloe Grace Moretz, I haven't seen a whole lot with her. You know, obviously she was a, so great as, as Hit Girl. Uh, I'm I'm excited for this. So, so yeah, I, I, I'll check that out. Please, Amazon, don't drop all episodes at one. Don't drop more than two at once because that, that's killing me. Speaking of Amazon, this this pisses me off. So apparently, Aaron Moriarty, Aaron Moriarty from The Boys, Starlight, she was getting a bunch of I, I don't even know why and I don't care to know why but apparently there's there's a lot of like cyberbullying or something people were were giving her a hard time I don't know I can't imagine why but but the the creator basically defend her and telling everyone to you know eat a bag of d whatever if um you know, if, if you don't like it, it, it basically they're saying, you know, if, if you have such issues, don't watch the show. We don't want you watching it if you're going to have this toxic behavior. And I don't know why so many people feel like they can, it can just be so, so disgusting about it. So many people, I don't know why they, they feel so entitled, you know, they, they like something. And then I, I think it's just a fact that we have, Twitter or online, you know, Facebook or, you know, just this access where people feel like, oh, I have my own little personal platform so I can spew my opinion. And yeah, you're entitled to your opinion. But if it's like negative and just 
you know, racist or just sexist. Why? I don't see why you need you feel the need to share that because you know what? What are you? Are you just proud of the fact that you share these horrible, disgusting topics? You think it's cool? You think it's funny? It just seems. It just it's it's blah. It's just so 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 gross. And you know these these people, they're working their butts off to do these things. And you know I know some people are like, oh, celebrities they get paid so much. You know they got it made and all stuff like that. They're still people. And you know it, it's it's hard when you you get that that negative comment from someone. You know the trolls or whatever that don't know what they're talking about. But yeah, so so it's just. Just ridiculous, and then going along with that, Lord of the Rings cast, did they, you know, they're speaking out against racism as well, like new cast, current cast, and old cast as well, just saying stuff. But, uh, and I think it was mentioned that they Amazon had to like close the reviews, or whatever, because it was getting review bombed. So apparently, people have issues, you know, they're calling the show woke. Which it, 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 who coined that phrase? I mean, it's it's so annoying when people say that. But I guess people are having issues because there are elves or whatever of of different races and colors. It's like, why wouldn't there be? You know, why not? And I I guess they expect everyone on Middle Earths and the surrounding territories are all supposed to be white. It's just I. I it just it, it's it's kind of sad in a way that some people are just so angry. It's you know this is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be entertainment, and they just they just get so angry about it. I don't know what the agenda. Anyways, I feel I'm giving this way too much time. It's just it's it's horrible stuff. So please, and if you don't like something, that's fine. But I don't know why do you, why do you have to be so disgusting about it. Uh, Dan Lin wasn't, you know, mentioned. Is he going to take over DC's film and TV stuff? Apparently not. So the the negotiations, the talk, I guess, didn't work out. There's you know, people are saying like, oh, is he not getting offered enough money? But I think he had a, I think he has like a first look deal. I can't remember if it was Universal or something like that. So that could cause some some conflict where if he's making a project, you know, he's got to basically offer it to Universal like, hey, do you want this before I, you know offered to someone else and then you know if he's doing stuff with warner brother how does that work you know he can't really develop something i so yeah who, who knows so i guess they're back at square one trying to figure out you know what, what they're going to do uh speaking of warner brothers so, sort of superman and lois the cw show so we've been talking about i've been talking about the fact that the actor playing jonathan kent it's like I, I'm not going to make it back to the show, and it, it you know, sounded like it was like mental health. He's whatever dealing with stuff, and just he's like, I don't even know if I'm going to be acting anytime soon again. Yeah, maybe I'm done acting and, and stuff like that. Well, it turns out they've re- recast him, which you know that's what they they got to do. You know, the, the show must go on and all that. So new Jonathan Kent will be played by. Uh, Michael Bishop, uh, he, I guess, did like a Disney Channel movie. I forget the name of it. He did some Australian TV show, which I forget the name of it. But so we, we have that. Um, and, and you know, I, I think that's what, what you need to do. You know, like I said, the show must go on. You have to have to move on. And speaking of controversial 
should it be recast or not. Uh, Chadwick Boseman won an Emmy for his voiceover work in What If? So he obviously voiced Black Panther. And I'm really torn with how I with with this news. You know, it's it's great that he's honored and all that. Uh, what is it like two years since he's passed? Unfortunately, you know, it, it's still it's it's hard to think about. And I I it's like when I, I decided to go back and watch the Black Panther movie again, I was like, I don't know if I could do that, but it's just so weird. I still say I I, I firmly believe that. Firmly believe I firmly believe that they should recast it because I feel like the character, and I, I know I've said this before, but in case you missed that episode or whatever, the episodes where I've, I've said it, I feel like the character means so much to so many people that he should still be there. And it's it's tragic that Chadwick Boseman is no longer with us. I feel like he probably, I, I, part of me, it's like I wish he would have said something like, hey, cast someone else, <laughs> you know, cause he, he knew, you know, he was going through some, you know, what he was dealing with and everything. But I just feel like the, just to take him away, it's, it's unfortunate. And especially, you know, if you look at it where, how, look at all of, all of, most of the majority of the heroes and, you know, there's a lot of white dude heroes in the Marvel cinematic universe. So here we have a person of color, major important character, they're gone. And, I I don't think it would be like an insult to recast. I mean, I don't know. And, and but then the other thing, him getting the 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 Emmy, like I said, it's a great honor and all that. I actually I don't know who else was nominated in, in the category. Should what if have should he have won for that? I mean, I don't know. The episodes, I mean, the what if episodes, they they were fine. They were good. I wasn't blown away. I, I can't really say that. I haven't felt like the urge, like, oh, you know, it's on Disney Plus. I should go back and rewatch it. But so I feel like he was he he won just because you know it was a way to honor him. That's nice, but I feel like there's other ways to do that. And what if you know there was something else that should have got? And it's just like, oh man, it's it's a bummer. You know, I I worked my butt off as well, and I'm I'm losing because you know, a, a tragic circumstances. I, I don't know. And, and am I being a jerk for, for saying that? But I know I'm not the only one. I, I, I don't know. And yeah, thank goodness I don't have to be the one to make these decisions because you know, I'm sure it's not an easy decision, but I don't know. Um, there was, so the trailers, there was a trailer for Interview with the Vampire, so AMC or AMC Plus, I think it's on both. That comes out October 3rd. I cannot say, sorry, I cannot say that I'm like super duper excited f- for for this. I was never like the biggest Anne Rice fan, uh, you know, like the Mummy and Interview with the Vampire, and I forget what else. But um, I heard, what was the other? Anyways, so I, I watched the trailer. You know, I didn't. I know. I think wasn't there like a teaser before? I never watched anything before, and I was like, okay, I should probably check this trailer out because it's going to be out soon. And it, eh, you know, it it doesn't it didn't knock my socks off and. You know, I, I can appreciate the original, the first movie with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. And, you know, I love Brad Pitt. And it's just, I don't know. It just, it it doesn't look like super duper exciting to me. So I, it just, it looks like, I don't want to say pretentious or stuffy or anything. You know, part of it has to do with like the age of the characters, the era they come from. And 
And maybe it's just the fact that it's another vampire movie show, you know, and I'm just like, okay, here we go again. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about like with comics, you know, there are some some cool vampire comics that I feel like are, are kind of turning things around, you know, adding more to the genre. And this, I'm sure it, it looks like it's, it's going to be a great production. I just don't think I'm super excited to watch it. So I don't know if I'll be talking about it. So sorry if you're looking forward to it. There was a trailer for Meet Cute, which I don't think I'm going to be watching this. This is, I think it was on a Peacock. It's Kaylee Kuko and Pete Davidson. This comes out on, on September 21st. It's basically like a, sort of like a time travel, uh, what about, or Groundhog Day, not what about Pop. <laughs> what about Bob? Why did I bring that up? So basically, Kaylee Kuko is somehow, she's traveling through time. She meets Pete Davidson, okay? And, you know, she develops a crush on him or whatever. And she goes, like, on a first date with him, like, seven, because she, she keeps repeating the day. And I guess she's using what she learned so then the next time she's trying to make things a little better, you know, because she already knows what he's into, what he likes, or what he might say, so they can make try to make the connection stronger. So you let me know how that was because I don't think I'm going to be watching it. Um, something I don't think I'm going to be watching anytime soon, but Hocus Pocus. I know some one person who's like probably super excited for this. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. It, this comes out on September 30th, Disney+. Plus. The first one was fine. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a, I don't know if I'd say it's a cute movie, but... I don't need to see it again. You know, my, my daughter liked the original one when it came out. Uh, my wife liked the, the first one when it you know came out. And uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that they're making it for the fans of the first one. And it looks like it could be fun. I just don't think, you know, if my daughter said, hey, dad, do you want to watch this? I'd be like, absolutely. But if she doesn't say, hey, dad, I'm not going to go and like, oh, what, what am I going to watch tonight? I'm going to watch Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Unless there's absolutely nothing else coming out that week, I don't think I'll be watching it. I don't know. Uh, there is also a trailer for Disenchanted on Disney Plus, and it's the same thing. So I watched Enchanted with my daughter and and her mother uh, when it, it came out, and you know it was it was a f- fine movie. You know I like James Martin and all that. So we get this new trailer and. Um, it looks, I mean, it looks like what you would expect. You know, they're continuing the story. Some time has passed. We're seeing, you know, are, are things happily ever after or not? I mean, it's just, it's it's not for me. But for those that are excited, awesome. You know, I, I think that that's great. So congrats to those involved and congrats to those who, who are looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure who this movie is for or who, who's looking for it. But um, oh, there there was a, a, a not this. There was a, a teaser for the Little Mermaid. I guess uh, I haven't didn't watch that. That's coming. That's gonna be in theaters, I believe, in May, twenty twenty three. So like the Disney D twenty three stuff happened. I might save some of the other announcements for for next week. I haven't had time to compile everything, but I, I know like they started off with like a lot of the, the main stuff, and you know there was stuff about Mufasa. Um, there's like Snow White. Uh, some summer's just like oh, it's coming in 2023 or 2024, and so you know we just got kind of got like first looks and stuff. So I, I don't have all that information right now as I record this. So 
I don't want to push this off because, like I said, this was a crazy weekend, so I, I got to you know get this stuff done. But what I was going to say is I, what I don't understand <laughs> who's making this. Spirit Halloween, the movie. I remember when I first heard about this, I'm like, you're not serious about this. You're making a movie about Spirit Halloween, the, the stores, the Halloween stores. And uh, basically these kids. So I feel like this might be like for middle school kids, uh, you know, maybe young high school kids. It's these you know kids get locked in in a spirit Halloween store and there's evil creatures or you know whatever stuff inside and it just it looks kind of silly which I'm sure that's what they're kind of going for but I just I'm I'm so completely baffled the fact that they're making this and the I'm also completely baffled so this is a, the last bit of news I have uh, I'm 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 ticked off about this. Paper Girls is canceled. So one season on Amazon, canceled, done. It was like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics and, and like a 80, 88% from the audience. That's not good enough. It, I guess probably it didn't get enough views. But you also got to look at it. Okay, it came out in the summer and you know maybe people are busy. You know maybe people aren't watching. And I know people binge stuff all the time. And I know you could look at well, like Stranger Things four did great, but you know that's a whole different thing. I, I don't I don't know. And maybe it was a high cost production. And I, I know they're saying a lot is writing on how Lord of the Rings does, but it's just it's just so annoying. So you know like part of me when, when you know I saw the trailer coming out for the peripheral. I'm like, should I bother watching that? Because how do I know there's going to be a season two? I feel like there's so much stuff that I, I'm investing in, you know, like Jupiter's Legacy or Resident Evil. And, and you know, yeah, maybe some of these things aren't that great or maybe there's other issues. But it's like, dang it, I'm investing all this time. And, you know, I'm spending time on a podcast talking about it. But then uh, it's it's just over. And But I, I guess maybe it's not necessarily 100% over because the legendary TV is like going to be shopping it around, trying to see if anyone else wants to pick it up and continue. But I don't know. So that's a bummer. But um, wow, this is like kind of long news weeks. So this week, that's going to be the news for this week. Let's move on with comic books at Image. There was a Image thirtieth anniversary anthology. This is issue five of twelve. And I'm I'm starting to to get like I'm starting to read less and less of what's going on here. I mean, for me, the main thing, this Blizzard story, the Jeff Johns and Andrea Moody story, that's that's really good. But some of the other ones are just kind of like hit or miss with me. You know, there there was a Brendan Fletcher and Erica Henderson story, so that that one was decent. Yeah, you know, actually, did I even finish it? Wait, now I'm looking at, at the solicit. There's a the pro by Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. I don't remember seeing that, so maybe I I didn't finish it. I thought I I did, but there's just a, a lot that is just not working for me, and and I don't know what what that's saying. You know, I I don't think it. I think it's more on me and what I'm kind of interested in, and it's just just the fact that I feel like I I'm spending so much time reading and an oh boohoo Tony right. But I just feel like there's just so much that I'm supposed to read that it kind of has to hit a certain way in order for me to enjoy it. 
and there I'm reading a lot. I'm, I'm not a lot, maybe a lot. I'm kind of reading a lot that I'm not super enjoying, but I feel like compelled, like I should read it. And there's some stuff I'm just like, well, I'm just not going to do it because I don't want to like poo poo all over something that someone else might like, just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not good. You know, I, I would never like proclaim that my thoughts are, you know, absolute. So there's that. Like Lego Ninjago, <laughs> I, I have no way I'm going to read that. I'm sure a lot of people are super excited about that, and that's awesome. You know, just as long as people are, are reading. I'm, uh, I'm just not me. Prodigy Icarus Society number three. So this is, uh, this is an interesting story. This is a Mark Miller uh, comic, written a comic. The pro- Prodigy, you know, he's a super smart guy. He kind of gets roped into working with one of his nemesis, and uh, then things kind of take this other turn, and it's like, what is he? How is he going to get out of this? Because you know he's a smart guy, but his, it's kind of like his hands are tied, and he's kind of forced to work with like you know the bad people and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's just not not going too 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 good for for him. Somehow I didn't read Starhenge Dragon and Boar number three. I don't know how I I missed that. Um, I need to read that. So that that's a Liam Sharp book. This this book this I I'm like so impressed with this because I I don't know if this is necessary. I don't remember if this is Liam um, Sharp's first written. You know he's obviously he's been drawing for like forever, and I still I still go back to the Marvel UK days and when like he did Death's Head two, I was like oh my gosh. Uh, but this this book is just so. I feel like it's ambitious, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But these characters, just so much like lore and just detail and like stuff going on there, and, and sometimes I'm like, oh my goodness, like what, 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 you know, trying to keep some stuff straight. But um, so yeah, you definitely should be reading that. It's 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 a deep deep book, but in a good way. Then there's a Twig issue five. So this is the Scotty Young and Kyle Strom book, and. Um, my my complaints like early on was like man this is only a five issue series and it was feeling like you know he's got to do this this and this and I'm like how are you going to do all this in five issues I feel like this could be like like an eight issue or twelve issue you know, there's so much that could happen and part of it also was because you know we're we're seeing this this world and I was like I want to see more of this you know I want to see you know I want to explore more. It's it's a good wrap up, you know. They they it is all handled very nicely. It fits together. It doesn't feel rushed or you know skimped over or anything like that. And it there is a little bit where it says at the end, Twig will return. So you know we we that that's good. I'm I'm totally fine with that. If you know a creator says, okay, we're gonna just put this out as a mini series and just leave it at that. And then when we can get around to it, we'll we'll do another you know mini series and, and continue stories because part of it you know you shouldn't try to force something you know if you're not ready and especially if you're you know got your hands full you're trying to do other things at the same time and all that so i'm i'm totally fine with with that and just the idea that we will at some point get more that that that's cool and i'm i'm totally fine with that so the the character you know twig it was interesting character designs you know just uh, with everyone and you know i i do like what what they did and and what's what's being set up here so um it'll be interesting to see what might happen next you know next time we we see him over at dc so there was poison ivy number four and 
just like I keep saying each each time, I'm I'm looking at you know poison ivy. She's it's she's basically crossing some lines. You know, she's got this new pathogen virus or whatever you want to call it, and it's like super deadly. And she's like spreading it as as far as she can. You know, she's sitting in a diner and basically like everyone inside a diner is infected. Then they're going to go out in their separate ways and infect more people and so forth. So it's just it's just crazy how she's just doing all this, and then the fact that she's you know still thinking of Harley, even though she left the situation. What kind of didn't work so much for me here? She ends up getting hired at this like factory, and of course, you know, there's a factory where there's like horrible conditions stuff like that, and on top of that, the harsh conditions. There's this complete scumbag boss. So Ivy decides to do something about it. And the fact that she's making this attempt or doing something, there's this coworker, this lady, she's like super excited and they start making out. And it's just, it just seemed, it seemed like very coincidental. I I don't know. Is it like the, the stereotypical gaydar? You know, that is it even PC to say that anymore? But it's like reading this, there was like no no mentions that you, you don't just kiss you don't kiss anyone you know if you're a dude you you can't kiss a guy you can't kiss a girl if you're a girl you can't just randomly kiss a girl or guy because you don't know what their the other pe- the person's orientation is and what plus you shouldn't just randomly be kissing someone because you are it's it's is, is assault <laughs> you know it's like personal space boundaries you can't just assume this is what this is, there's no consent I think that's what I'm trying to say. So it's just that that was just kind of weird, but it, yay, it worked out. I guess you know they were, they were both consensual, but but it was just kind of weird. And then, but then there's the fact that it's like Ivy, what are you doing, man? This this, this how are you going to fix this? Is what I want to know. Is there any way to fix this? Flashpoint Beyond issue five. This book is just getting kind of nuts in a good way. Uh, so, man, Thomas Wayne, he, he, I don't know what he's doing, and and he kind of sees like he, you know, he's trying to do everything for for Bruce, but one, it's like how is this Flashpoint world still there? You know, because that was supposed to be wiped out, and you know, he knows things are are happening or gonna happen, and then there's like mentions of other things. Now, I think at one point they, I don't know. Okay, Joker. I, they may have revealed, Jeff Johns may have revealed, actually, I think there's some co-writers on this, or co-writer or co-writers, may have, they may have revealed Joker's actual name. Because there is this one thing, they, they mentioned, a, I won't go into specifics. I think that was, and then I saw somewhere, I don't remember if it was, if it might have been a Facebook angry site, that like DC reveals Joker's real name. So may, then I was like, okay. Because when I read it, I'm like, uh, maybe that is probably not, but maybe it is. So maybe they did. I don't know. I, I don't think they should do that. I 100% love Jeff John's books. I don't think revealing his name it should be done. Just like with uh, the Joker movie. I, I don't like that. And just like the killing joke. You know, I the whole thing is like if you subscribe to the theory or whatever the philosophy that this is Joker's origin, that he was a stand-up comedian. Comedian, I was gonna, say, I was should I say comic or comedian? I don't know why I'm justifying when I 
say some words wrong and I, I don't bother. I'm not going to like fix it, you know, edit it, re-say it. I'm not going to redo the whole show or segment. But it kind of bothered me. Like when I first read it or, you know, I think about it, it's like this, we shouldn't be seeing the Joker like this before he was Joker. But then the reason it's okay, because then Joker's, and even in like Batman, Be- Batman Begin, no, uh, Dark Knight, they kind of sort of take the same route where maybe that's not the truth. You know, maybe Joker is distorting things or maybe he's just totally wrong with how he's remembering things. So I don't know. Uh, then there's Batman Dear Detective. So this book, uh, this was Lee Bermejo. And this is like, like a 60-page book. It's a, how do I describe this? It's basically, because at first when I was looking at this, I didn't read anything about it. Uh, I, I actually thought it was at first, you know, before I even like looked at it, I was thinking it was uh, the Chris Uminga Batman book that's coming out soon, I think this month. Then I realized like, oh, Lee Bermejo. And, and there's like, someone's writing a letter, hence Dear Detective. And then we get like, Libra my heart, Libra my heart. And it's like all these, after all, I was like, these look like they're just covers. And I guess they were. Because it, it, it's amazing art. Well, actually, when I first started seeing it, I'm like, oh no, are we going to see like the, the the bat penis again? <laughs> like we saw in that one black label book. But then I'm reading, I was like, wait, are, is this part of the story? I'm trying to see, does it fit? And I think it says at the end that it was basically a collection of the covers and, and stuff like that. And it's it's amazing art. I mean, it's so insane. It, that, and then the, the letter writing part, it's it's interesting in seeing how, yeah. So it, it's a cool book, but it's not like your typical book. So just, you know, be, be cautious or be aware of that. New Champion of Shazam, number two. So this... Um, I'm I'm really digging this book. I really like Mary Marvel, and I, I think they're they're doing a, a good job here. And then the fact that you know this art that we have, um, you know, Doc Shanner is art. So Josie Campbell's doing the writing. Um, I don't like the fact that Billy Batson's not around, you know, because he's like in hell or whatever with the Rock of Eternity, you know, guarding it because he's I guess taking place at a wizard or whatever. And then, you know, there, there's stuff going on where we don't have the Shazam family because, you know, they all lost their powers, but then Mary got powers. So things are kind of like kind of tense and falling apart at the, like the foster home where, you know, all the kids are. And Mary has, she goes off to college because, you know, she's a smart kid and everything. She goes to this really nice school, but the foster parents disappeared. So she kind of has to go back to, because she's like the only adult and that's kind of ruining, or not really ruining, but like messing with her, her, her future, you know, because she's going to this like kind of crummy community college, and and by crummy, I mean it's like it's literally run down and, and sketchy. But then you know, duty as as a superhero, you know, she's got to do things and everything like that. But I, I just I, I really like this book, so I'm I'm curious where this is going to go. Uh, Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths. And uh, we, I will say, Hal Jordan and Barry Allen meet up. You know, so the Justice League, I guess, apparently it's not necessarily dead, but you know, they're they're being used or they're placed in these new Earths, and I, I, I don't know. And then there's there's stuff with like Nightwing, you know, trying to take over the mantle, and 
and more with Deathstroke and his e- evil army, where clearly they're being controlled. Because you know, he, there's this one shot of like all these bad guys attacking. They all have these like black chains wrapped around them. So there, there's it's probably you know something with that. So it's like makes me wonder if like oh if you chop or somehow bust a chain, are they going to snap out of it and you know be back to normal, whatever? They they try stopping Deathstroke, but then things kind of don't go quite the way they, they planned, so they may have made things worse. I don't know. Uh, Black Adam, The Justice League Files, Adam Smash number one. I haven't been reading these books because I'm not a super fan of like movie adaptation comics. I feel like they don't work for some reason. I don't know what it is, but I was just curious about this. I was just I was like, okay, I'll get, I'll check this out. I'll flip through some pages, and then I end up pretty much kind of skimming a little more than skimming skimming so it was it, it was a fine book you know I, I way better than i thought but and part of me i'm not a, a huge adam smasher fan so it didn't like get me excited to see like oh what we could possibly look forward to in the movie but it, it's cool that they're doing these they're having these tie-ins and hopefully it's people are excited for the movie you know they're gonna get excited for the comics i don't know if that'll happen but who knows Sort of Azrael number two. I didn't read that. I just i I can't get into Azrael. He, I you know, I thought he was cool and all back when he first came out. When he became so unhinged when he during you know Night's End when he was Batman, that kind of threw. Me, and I just I just don't have a desire to to read about him, so I didn't check that out. Um, Dark Knights of Steel, Tales from the Three Kingdoms. I started flipping through this, but then I didn't feel like reading this either because it's like all right we have this interesting setup in in the the main series but now we're getting these kind of flashbacks and like the first one was written by tom taylor but then there's have these other ones it's like is there a story to be told where's this idea is this you know other random writer saying oh i want to write about this we let's do this or is it I, i don't know so it just didn't feel necessary to me you know, I'm, I'm enjoying the main series, so it, I'm sure it, it will enhance things, but I just, it wasn't for me. Just like Batman Beyond Neo Year, I, I I don't know what my problem is with this, and I don't think it's just the fact that Bruce Wayne's not there, but something, I love, I love Batman Beyond. I love Terry McGinnis, but it's just, I don't know, something about this. Then there's Batman 127. So this is dealing with uh you know there's this batman has has this fail safe thing that's been unleashed and it's uh causing major problems and everything like that so batman and tim drake are trying to fight it off but it's like super deadly and everything like that so then i guess we can mention it you know the batman of zert and r um there's something appealing you know kind of neat about the costume and everything like that and one one thing is cool as he's he's there and you know robin's like bruce he's like what he's like why does your voice sound different and you know the the, the word balloon is, is like this purplish you know color and everything like that so there, there's some cool things here it's it's, it's definitely um interesting that, like why is batman of, and zer are here and everything like that the backup story is uh catwoman and the, the penguin and stuff like that so there's definitely an interesting uh development here that happens with that so like so basically penguin's dead 
and his, he had, turns out he had several errors. I guess Penguin got around. They were all like fighting each other, and, and somehow all these errors were getting killed off because they all want take command of the Penguin's empire. It's like, okay. At Marvel, we have Axe, <laughs> Death to the Mutants, number two. How's this only number two? I feel like I've been reading this for so long, and the part of the problem is like some of the, the tie-in books you're supposed to read before this one, and yeah, so it's just I just I'm not enjoying this. Okay, then there's All Out Avengers number one. I'm really on the fence with with this book. You know, trying to figure out okay, why do we have this? Do we need this or whatever? So it's written by Derek Landy, art by Greg Land. Art lo- actually looks a little different, so I, I don't know if it's with the inking or whatever, uh, but the the premise of the book, and it, it kind of makes sense, you know, there's like a, a letter at the, at the back where I can kind of relate to this. You know, it talked about like back, you know, when you, the, you, you first start reading comics, you know, there, there wasn't all the digital comics. And, you know, back, back issues depends on your area and what you had access to and stuff like that. But basically, you know, you get this idea where it's like, oh, you go to comics or you pick up this issue. I want to pick up some back issues and you might get like two issues go five issues. You know, you don't have every, the complete story. So then you kind of are forced to fill in the gaps with like what's going on with the characters and everything. Maybe you'll get lucky and you'll find, you know, can piece your collection together or whatever. So that's kind of the idea here where these stories are kind of throwing you in the middle of the action. You're not getting the the complete backstory, like the buildup and like, okay, they're sitting around or doing this and then this starts happening and then they got to go over here and they start fighting this character and this happens. So it's basically like, like we're like towards, we're like in act three. It's like, boom, boom, boom. How are they going to get out of this? What did he do? And it's just like, so that's the all out action part or all out Avengers where it just starts cranking things up and they're taking on the, the main threats or whatever. It's a neat idea. And, and, you know, maybe it's just the, the threat, the story in this first issue didn't like completely, you know, knock me over. But I kind of like the, the idea. The art was, eh, you know, it was all right. But we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely game for checking out the next issue. Because I, I do. It, I, I kind of, in a way, it almost feels like, like you're taking the easy way out. It's like, oh, we don't even have to tell a complete story. We can just say, blah, 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 uh, da, da, ta, da. here's where they're at. Now they're doing this. Because it starts out like, what the heck happened to Captain Marvel? But with that, and then, yeah, you can tell a faster story. You don't have all the buildup. It's not, well, I, I was going to equate it to like my, my love for the 30-minute shows because I feel like they get more stuff done. But that's not really accurate. I don't know why I'm, I'm still talking about that or bring it up here because, you know, you do get the backstory. It's just things are happening at different, I don't know. So we'll see. It was, it was definitely interesting. I'll, I'll check that out. Um, the next issue, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number two, Steve Rogers, you know, he found out there's like this organization and their symbol was actually the symbol, like his shield is, is like their, their thing, uh, this outer circle. And, there's this, it's not necessarily like a conspiracy group of like what the heck is going on and, and how does this what does this mean for Steve Rogers and the super soldier serum and, and just everything and you know Bucky's been doing some digging on his own and you know it's just it, it, things things are, are I feel like it's almost treading in dangerous territory because you know you got to be careful with if you're going to try to rewrite any histories of a character like Captain America you know you got to be careful with that 
So, but I I, I enjoy a, a good you know conspiracy story and with the threat and and you know what's really happening, what's going down. So we'll, we'll see. I, I'm I'm enjoying that. Um, Immortal X. I shouldn't even talk about these because it's it's just more you know we about the the axe tie-in, the Avengers X Men Eternals, and a lot of it it's like everyone's being judged by the celestial god and there's a lot of, so like the same thing with with marauders issue six where the marauders actually kind of go through this uh sort of um sort of like therapy the with a birdie and 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 um oh, what was that dude's name that that does like the dream stuff so basically they're they can go through like okay when they're being judged certain things are being like pulled out and presented to them. Like the, the celestial is in, in most cases talking to them as a person that suffered some tragic fate or whatever, you know, and it's just, it's just not, not doing it for me. Um, Moon Knight issue 15. So we have war, you know, Moon Knight is uh, trying to, to get to the bottom of things. You know, there's this, vamp evil vampire organization and you know he's got his his set and basically what what's what's going on here is moon knight's trying to get information and he decides he's utilizing like stephen grant and jake lockley you know doing stuff i still think it's it's weird how they're being treated as separate entities when that's not how it was in the early comics and i i feel like am i the only one thinking that am i totally wrong but the fact that they're different the, the the different persona things and i i'm not a dod or did um tod i'm not a did expert but i feel like with the tv the disney plus show that things were kind of turned differently i don't know i i, I love the comic still but i'm yeah i'm just not sure what, what's going on or where that's going to go um, New Fantastic Four issue four came out. I didn't look at that. New Mutants issue twenty nine. Um, this was an interesting. Uh, there's some tension between uh, Dokken and uh, Warpath because Gabby's missing. It's like what again? But the, you know they, they try to figure out what's going on, and it was a fine issue. It, yeah. Then Punisher issue six. So Punisher has recently joined the hand. He's being worshipped as this like killing machine. He's not a god, but they're you know basically doing a lot for him. And in part of like his reward is they resurrected his wife, and they promised to resurrect his kids too. But it's a little harder because they're younger and there's like less DNA material. I don't know, but they've been kind of fighting this evil force that's you know causing all this death and weapons and stuff like that and, and it turns out it's Ares, the god of war and he's all about like you know frank castle you know you're you're should be my disciple and not the and so they end up fighting each other because punisher goes to him kind of crazy thinking he can take on Ares and his entire organization we're getting a lot of insight into frank's past like when he first met his wife and, and when he went off to, to fight in vietnam and it's it's almost a little disturbing in a way how we're seeing his story play out, but I guess that's how it goes. And you know, and the thing is, Punisher is not someone to look up to. You know, he's he's trying to take out the bad guys, but he's he's a messed up person. So you know that that shouldn't ever be overlooked. She Hulk issue six. 
the one thing here, so She-Hulk's working for Mallory Brook, her sort of nemesis, and one of the conditions for Jen to have a job, you know, being a lawyer at this firm, was that she wasn't going to bring in any super-powered clients because that adds a whole, like, stickiness, you know, just causes problems. You think it's like, you know, it, it shouldn't really matter. It's like there, if there's there's a market for this, then they should take advantage of it because She-Hulk is like the only superpowered lawyer if you don't count Daredevil. But you know, if if she's selling herself as this superhuman or superpowered lawyer, you know that that could bring in a lot of clients and a lot of her friends are coming. I don't think they necessarily expect are expecting her to do things pro bono. And there's got to be some charge for her services, especially when they know she's working at this firm. So she, you know, she has to build them and stuff like that. But at one point, Nightcrawler, because you see him on the covers, so that's why I'm bringing this up. He talks to her about like the island of Krakoa and like her representing them, because you know there's like immigration and tax stuff and everything like that. So then when she tells Mallory that she booked Krakoa. And she's like hourly or retainer or whatever it was. So she's actually excited. And it's like, dude, you said you didn't want to. And she's like, it's every single person is a super powered you know, individual. But I guess she's okay because it means more money. and blah. So maybe Jen will finally get a bigger office then. So she's not in a literal closet trying to you know meet with clients. Uh, then there's Star Wars 27. So there is this uh, couple with their kids. They're working on a Death Star, Death Star 2, as it, sorry, as it's being constructed. A pen got away on my hand. And uh, they decide, they're like, man, we got to get out of here. So they like steal an a Imperial shuttle. And they're like, okay, we have this, this, this uh, information. The fact that we're building a second Death Star, the rebels should know about this. And you know, something should be done. But it also brings along the idea is how many innocent people are on these Death Stars when, you know, they get blown up. And you could say, well, if you're working for the Empire, you're not innocent. But there's, I mean, we're, we're seeing that there's there's stuff, you know, there's extenuating, extenuating circumstances. Then uh, we have Wolverine 24. And this was a, this was another axe tie-in and... Um, yeah, I just, I just, I just don't care. I want this, this, and that's the thing is like issue two only came out. I want this to be over. I'm just so, so done with it. X Men and Moon Girl number one. So we're getting all these Moon Girl one shots where she's teaming up with different people. Devil Dinosaur was kidnapped and cloned by the High Evolutionary. So she's trying to get him back. And in uh, this issue, she's teaming up with with Wolverine and Havoc which is kind of fun. I like the fact that Havoc is here because I feel like he doesn't get to do a whole lot. You know, he was in Hellions for a while, but uh, yeah, he's just like so limited as to what, you know, it's, like, they don't let him out. So I'm, I'm glad he got to take part of this. And uh, um, I forgot, so it ends like with the, you know, the pretty definitive ending. I don't think there's another book necessarily coming out, but there was like a slight cliffhanger that's like, okay, now what? So it's it's just fun. I, I like Moon Girl. You know, it's not my favorite character or anything, but I, I do like the concept and the idea. It's, it's just a lot of fun. All right, Rick and Morty is back. Season 6, Episode 1, Solarix. So 
I would have to say it, it's I really enjoyed the show. It, it's a lot of fun. It's you know they they always straddle the line. You know being inappropriate without trying to be too inappropriate, but it's it can get inappropriate at times. So it's it's a fun show. Yeah, I, I love the animation and just they come up with some weird and wacky situations and and this this episode is is no exception so it it just it gets gets nuts uh so it starts off we see like of like a floating so try i'm you know as i watch this i didn't really i'm I'm trying to think like what happened last season so we see like rick's floating out in space there's a a ton of like dead mortys like just disemboweled just floating out there and then you hear Rick talking. He's saying, you know, this is how it ends. The Citadel is gone. Uh, and then he, he, there's mention like the, the extra Mortys went feral and you see them like attacking, whatever. Then uh, we see wounded Rick. He's talking. And then he yells like his at his dying Morty. Uh, he's like, I told you to write this down. He's like, I don't have a helmet like that Avengers guy. And then he talks about that. He's been drinking a lot of his piss and the, the portal gun isn't working, uh, which is probably part of evil Morty's plans or whatever. Because like you, you try shooting a portal and it, it, it just goes, it's, it's and it just it, it just doesn't work. So they they kind of lie next to each other. It, it's almost touching in a way because you know Morty is all you know he's he's weak and everything like that. He's got like his his arm on on Rick's arm and he's got his head on his shoulder, or whatever. And then there's there's kind of like a knocking on on a dome and it's their space bomb. And they're they're like we can't hear you. I mean, Rick is like being rude and everything. He's like he's like there's there's a vacuum out there. He's like don't you know anything or something like that. So she puts up this like holo display and it says is this a private party or can anyone join? And he's like oh you got to work on your banter you know whatever like that. And at one point like Morty's like how come you acted like you didn't know you know the, the uh, Iron I don't know if he mentioned Iron Man's name or you know because he just says that that Avengers guy but he knew anyways so they get back their Beth is there with sandwiches she's like oh, I'm surprised you, you guys got stranded oh and first of all you know they're they're hungry and Rick's like it's like oh we can't eat that because our bodies might not be used to solid food so there's this uh I forgot what it was called, like some robot nutrition, whatever, analyzer. So basically, he takes the sandwich, shoves it in there, it like grinds it up, turns into this little like paste, and then he gives it to Morty, he just kind of eats it. But then Rick eats his sandwich. He's like, I'll, I'll risk it because it just looks gross. So when, you know, Beth says that, you know, she's surprised they got stranded, and Rick mentions a portal gun being busted. So he's going to have to reboot the portal index or something like that. So he's like in a garage, and, you know, he pours out all, all liquid. He's like, oh, I just have to, you know, hard do a hard reset on the fluid. He's like, oh, just just warning, you know, the, the earth is probably going to shake. So it, it does shake and everything like that. And then there's like a, gl- a green glow around Rick and Morty. Um, and then it kind of pulsates. And Rick's like, he's like, oh, I may have reset the the portal travelers instead of the, the portal gun or whatever. Jerry like comes in the garage. He's like, Rick, he's like, why am I pulsing green? He's like, and, and don't say you're, you don't know because you're you're pulsing green too or something like that. Then Morty's, he's like, are we about to die? And Rick's like, no. He's like, we're about to vanish from this reality. And Jerry's like, that's totally dying. So, you know, they're just bickering or anything like that. Rick's like, no, it isn't. He's like, everyone from this re- reality is returning to their reality of origin. So he tells Summer... He needs her to find a file called Booger Aids. And she's like, they're all labeled that. He's like, well, I just, I get tired of of naming them. He's like, just find one that has one-way blind hop beacon protocol in it. And he's like, there's no time to explain. And then he's like, here we go. And then they're still like sitting there like flashing. And Jerry's like, 
there was time to, to explain it. And Rick's like, oh, you know, you're going to spend your final moments being so petty and what's like that. And they're still there. And they're like, we're still here and everything like that. Then they finally disappear. So poor or Summer, she just opens up the like a hatch to the basement, you know, underneath the garage. She just goes down there. And Beth asks Space Beth, she, she's like, she's like, where's your, your real dad and Morty? And then Summer yells, buried in the backyard. And then Beth's like, oh, so that's what the possums are after. So Summer starts working. Space Beth, Beth comments about, you know, Summer. Or she's like, oh, you also in the family business? And then she's like, yeah. She's like, Morty's an easy mark, but Grandpa pays me stuff like this. So she went to this machine and answered like a card, got like a token, goes to this vending machine. And then these like kind of gloves come out. They're like almost like nothing. She just puts them on and she's like Wolverine claws, <laughs> which is funny. I could have swore that's what Morty asked for. Like, wasn't it like season one or two where he kept saying he wanted Wolverine claws and, and Rick's like, he, he like shot down the idea or whatever. So she just puts them on and she pops them up. But really they're not Wolverine claws. They're really X-23 claws because there's only two claws, but we'll, we'll forgive Summer for, for that. So Space Beth, she's like, oh, it looks like he got this, so she's going to leave. But then Summer's like, oh, why don't you stay? She's like, you know, we can go to the Citadel, and you, you can break stuff and loot stuff. And then she's like, oh, okay, I'll go. And in regular Beth, she's like, it's like oh, it's okay. She's like, woo, this is going to be fun. And Summer's like, okay, because I guess she just wanted to go with Space Beth or Space Mom. Rick appears in his driveway, so he just, you know, he's there. And you know he's back at his dimension. The doors open. There's like a blast mark on on the ground. So we we saw this. I don't remember if it was last season when he was attacked by a different version of of, of himself. So he, he then he curses that he's back. This woman's voice calls out. It's like, oh, is that you? And he's like, yeah, Diane. So that was. I mean, did we know that? I totally forget. Diane is his, is his wife's name. Is is Beth's mom's name? And she's like, oh, you've been gone so long. Did you find our, our daughter's killer? And he's like, no, still looking, you know, sorry. And he goes to his panel, you know, behind some stuff. And he, like, opens some. I think he has some, like, some alcohol in there or something like that. And she's like, oh, you'll find them. She's like, you always do what you, you set your mind to, except keep your family alive. And then he's like, mute. And then she's like, oh, if, if I could be muted, then, you know, I wouldn't be good at haunting you. She's like, you must have... Um, you know, figured out that you wanted to be haunted or something like that. So he's like, yeah. So obviously it's not real, but he programmed this in or something like that. Morty appears in a world. It's like all just rotted and overgrown. You know, there's just like vegetation over everything. This like weird monster mutated something attacks him. Then he, he's walking around with a, a backpack and a spear. He goes into like a convenience stores and then he's like, he sees like sex Vogue magazine. So he's like, Oh, so he goes to grab that. Someone's behind him and he throws a spear at him and it's like, damn it, Morty. He's like, there aren't any doctors anymore. So there's this dude with long hair and a beard and he's like, Dad? Then at the like the damaged Citadel, uh, the two Beths and, and Summer arrive. There are like some scavenger dudes in these like suits or whatever. Then Summer starts saying, it's like, if they shoot at us, I'm allowed. And then they start shooting. And she's like, to do this. So she starts going, she pops her, her Wolverine claw, starts slicing them up and everything like that. And she's like, Space Mom, get in on this. And then she starts shooting from her fingers, like, it's like that. And she's like, oh, let's hurry this up. She's like, I don't have all day. And there's one more, regular Beth. She's like, oh, I've got this. So she shoots it like in a torso, and it's like still alive and like in pain. And she's like, I got this. She shoots it in the head. It's still alive. And then she shoots it in the torso again. It's still alive. And she shoots it again. So Beth finally comes and like shoots it. And it's like this big, huge, gaping wound. And Summer mutters like, Ugh. she's like, 
extraterrestrials, am I right? So poor, poor Beth. Rick in, in his garage, he builds like a new space car. And Diane says that she's like, I kept up the search in your absence. Do you want a new list of locations? He like grabs it. He goes inside to the kitchen, grabs a beer. He's like, oh, you're always just one room away, huh? She's like, yeah. She's like, you figured that if you could see or touch me, it'd give you a level of comfort or whatever. The doorbell rings. He goes, it's Mr. Goldman Bach Majorian. And he's like, oh, you're still alive, huh? Or something like that. He's like, what's up? So this dude... He he's like all old and kind of weird looking. No offense to old and weird looking people, but he says that he was wondering if he could help him make sense of a note. It said something like his body was aging, but his mind was stuck in a loop and like like that. You see these other people walking outside, and they're all kind of similar. And you know, there's like a bunch of over you know, like newspapers in the front yard, grasses over overgrown and stuff like that. Then you know he, he talks about just wanting. You know, he's like whatever. You know, he's just like don't worry about it. And so he. He, I think, I don't know if he killed him because he pulled some lever and he's like, oh, sweet death or something like that. So then Rick is talking about like wanting to leave or whatever. And, and Diane's like, oh, are you moving on? And he's like, it's like, no. He's like, you know, I just came back on accident. And he says that he kind of says more to himself. He's like, he can't keep searching because he can't find what he's looking for or something like that. And then he's like, I'm living with a version of Beth who's alive. He's like, we have grandkids. And he's like, you know, she reminds me of you. And then he's about to leave. And she's like, you're not going through the rift without coordinates, are you? Because, you know, he's just tired of waiting because Summer's supposed to send the coordinates, but, you know, she can't get them or whatever. So she's, she's like, don't give up on us. She's, and she's like, I can't help it. You know, she's like, Haunter's got to haunt or whatever. So he, like, takes off. So Morty asks uh, Hermit. Jerry, I guess, is what, what they referred to him in the, the, the closed caption. So Morty asks his, his dad, he's like, you know, where, where's mom and Summer? And he's like, they're gone. He's like, sorry. And, you know, he like says something, whatever, some stuff. And Morty, like, he can't believe that his, his original dad actually beat the apocalypse because, you know, Jerry's are such scripts or whatever like that. So you see him, he's, he, they killed one of those mutated things, and he's like, it's all sliced, and he's like cooking it, and he's like talking about the brain, whatever, and he, he says that how to, like the meat's like good for protein and, and everything like that. So then Morty talks about wanting to play this game called Downbeat, and he's like, oh, remember the last time we, we played this or whatever? And then he's like, I'll go upstairs and get it. So he goes in his room, and he, you know, it's under his bed all dusty. He's like, oh, I found it. He goes back downstairs. Jerry's gone. So there's a note there, and he's like, I wrote this note in advance in case you're wondering how I wrote it so fast. He's like, I was going to wait for you to, you know, for your back to be turned and grab all your poop and, and split. And, he's, and then he's like, depending on how long – you know, you were gone. You might think that you could fall. And Morty drops the notes and runs. But then he goes to the front door. He steps on a like a rope trap, and then it, it, he's hanging upside down. There's another note up there, you know, taped to it, like upside down. It's like Morty wrote this fast because had to set trap. Thought you'd have cooler poop. See other note. Bye. So he doesn't want anything to do with Morty for some reason. Um, then Morty does catch up to his dad. He's like riding this mutated beast or something like that. And then Jerry, I, apparently Jerry's angry that he that morty abandoned them or something like that and, and he kind of blames him for for summer and beth dying or something like that so he just leaves he doesn't want anything to do with them and, and morty's kind of like crying because he's all alone he doesn't know what to do diane is still talking to rick while he's in a sh in a ship and she's like if you return to this world then your killer must have two or something like that and then rick says that oh yeah then he, he must be trapped He's like flying, and Summer finally sends a coordinates, like just before he, he gets chomped by this giant space creature worm thing or whatever, like that. So then he goes, you know, he wherever he's at, he has to track Morty so he can go get him. 
Beth and Beth are bickering because they get eaten by a space worm, and so because they're not really paying attention, it's there's obviously some jealousy over Summer's you know attention or something like that. Morty's still kind of crying. Rick crashes, and then he comes. He pulls some hair off of Morty. I don't know if it's to, to check the DNA to make sure it's him or something like that, or I don't know if it had something to do. Or maybe I don't know if it had, what it has. Okay, yeah. So I think it has to do with finding the other Rick because he asked him if he saw another Rick there in a nondescript haircut, sci-fi jacket or something like that. He sets up all these like scanners and stuff like that. And then Morty asks, he's like, wasn't the Rick here dead? And then he like finds him. So Morty is like, you know, what are you going to do? He's, he's, he's going to kill his, his, his grandpa or something like that. So M- Morty's original grandpa I guess killed Rick's family. I don't know if we knew that or not, or if, or if this is a revelation here. I don't remember. So they fly out to this invisible space station or something like that. The other Rick starts talking to him on the screen. He's like, "Oh, this is pre-recorded, or is it?" He's like, "I'm really there's there's a Rick in a glass tube." He's like, "Oh, is that really me?" He's like, "I do a bunch of saw stuff like the, from the movies." So then he's like, "Oh, while you debate it, you know, here's a, I'm going to unleash a bunch of murder bots on you while you're thinking about it or something like that." So then Morty hears uh, his mom and that the other are in, are in danger. So he jumps out of the ship and Rick's like, what are you doing out here? He's like, you need to get back in there. But Rick's being all like, like nonchalant about it. It's almost like he doesn't care if anything happens to him. At one point, you know, his arms get, gets lasered off and then new ones just grow out because, you know, he's, he's got that wired into him or whatever. And Rick's like, you're like a suicide bomber. He's like, you did this last season. He's like, you aren't feeling bomby, are you? Or something like that. Then Rick's, Rick's like, it's like, oh, you must get it from the other Rick. He's like, you're Rick. And Morty's like, but you're my grandpa. He's like, I don't even know that other guy. So, you know, he doesn't care about the evil Rick, if I guess you want to call him that. The Beths are arguing over, like, how, uh, like, sp- space Beth is kind of cool. And, you know, again, getting Beth's or Summer's affection and everything like that. It turns out that Beth could hear everything that they're saying she slices them out and she says to space mom, she's like, you, you know, you could be around more often. And then her mom, she's like, and mom, and she's like, I'm 17. You know, my affections are like the wind. She's like, don't try to, I, I forget what she said. She said something, whatever typical summer. And then the, the worm kind of reforms, even though it was like sliced up, but it has like a bunch of heads and it's like, now nah, we feast. But then Rick's ship lands on top of it. And then he like does something to it. And it just like dissolves. You know, he, he has some way to kill it. Then they realize they have to go get dad. And Rick's like, ugh. So then we see at the dinner table, Beth's yelling. She's like, well, maybe I wouldn't be so uptight if I wasn't married to an unemployed receptacle of human fear. And Summer's like, yeah, she's like, get a job, dad. It's been a decade. And Rick's sitting there. He's like, oh, that's pretty brutal. He's like, you know, I know of an alligator park if you want to kill yourself. And Morty just like casually says, I got expelled today. And mom's like, what the hell, Morty? The doorbell rings. Jerry just gets up. You know, he he answers it. It's Beth and Rick. And he's like, hi, hon. And they hug. And Rick's like, whoa, some real season two vibes in there, huh? Then Jerry goes back inside for a sec. He's like, you know, I may be from here, but I'm an interdimensional traveler now, so all of you can kiss my sci-fi ass. So then they return to their house. They're all laughing. And Morty's like, what amazing joke I just told. He's like, and what an amazing adventure. She's like, I guess it doesn't matter where we're from as long as we're together. And he's like, good final moral, huh? And then Summer says, she's like, this is everyone's original dimension now. And then Jerry comes down from this. So Jerry's with them, but another Jerry comes down the stairs in a towel. He's like, oh, you're back. And Rick's like, season two, Jerry. 
And he's like, you know, can someone help with the showers? Like, it's colder than Beth on our anniversary. He also found something in Rick's room. He has like a cat carrier. It's like this glowing triangle with his face in there. And it's like, hmm, I'm Mr. Frundles. And he's and he, Jerry's like, I don't care how cute he is. We agreed no boogans in the house. So he opens the door to let it out. And Rick's like, calls. He's like, no. But Mr. Frundles comes back in and he bites season two Jerry on the ankle. And then a face grows out of the bump. And it's like, hmm, I'm Mr. Frundles. And Rick's like, everyone back in the car. And then like the rug, the wall, the stairs, everything starts getting faces. Season two, Jerry like tries, you know, going upstairs, even though his legs like, you know, got this bump on her. They go out into space and you see Earth has a big face also. And Beth's like, WTF, Dad? She's like, why would you bring that thing to our house? He's like, it was cute. So he's like, oh, we'll have to find a new timeline now. He's like, you know how hard that it was out of portal? He's like, we're going to have to do the, the thing with the rift and the beacon again. It's like the whole flip, flipping episode all over again. Then Space Beth, Space Beth asks, he's like, can't they just go back and fix it? But you look at the earth and it's just like all the water is gone. There's just a face on whatever. So they find another earth. I wasn't sure what happened, but like the family's all dead. So I don't know if they found an earth where the family was dead so they can just go in there so then they have to bury all the family <laughs> in, in the backyard there's like all these like graves out there that they they dug and rick's like it's basically the same place except they say parmesan weird and they're like how do you say it he's like parmesan and they're like boo so they go in the house but then morty's like he's like can you promise him not just bait for the other guy he's like what are you talking about whatever and then that's the end but then there is a mid-credit scene, of, of course. So we see Hermit or Apocalypse Jerry, whatever. He sees like a broken tube and then the sci-fi jacket Rick, whatever, is there. And he, he says something like, you know, maybe they could just talk, whatever. But then Jerry like slices his throat with a knife. But then it, it heals. And he, so this Rick laughs. He's like, oh, badass. And Jerry's like, why are you here, whatever. And then he shoots Jerry. He's like, I've been asking myself that same thing. So uh, yeah, that's the end of Jerry. But it looks like we'll probably get another confrontation between the Ricks this season. So maybe like it'll be at the end of the season. This is what it'll lead up to. So, it, I mean, like I said, it was, it was weird and wacky. You know, they're pushing boundaries and everything. It's the, but just the fact that they're on a whole different timeline now. <laughs> but, and, and that's just how it goes. It's like it doesn't matter. Uh, okay. So it's, I'm enjoying it. Okay, and then House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, season one, episode three. So it starts off this crab feeder dude. He's attacking more. Some dudes say that that House Valerian is coming from or something like that. You know, he's like tied up. He he's like uh, the crab feeder dude just like pounds like an iron stake into his head somewhere or like that. I don't know. He's still alive. It doesn't kill him. So maybe I don't know. But then this dragon comes and the dude cries like, "Hail Prince Damon!" And the dragon is like torturing all these people. He's, and he's he's still like on this post. He's like, "Save me, my prince!" And then stomp. The dragon lands on him without even paying any attention. So, so this dude's like, like. So that's what I wonder when when the dragons are like torching everything. How do they do? They I always wonder. It's like, do they coordinate this? It's like, okay, the dragon swooping. You guys need to go this way, move away from the enemy, because then it's just like whoosh. So people are incinerated just like instantly, you know, just just crumbles of bones, whatever. Then Damon yells out. He's like, where are you, Drahar? He's like, come out and face me. He's like, I'm going to feed you to your own crabs or something like that. But 
the way he's just like incinerating everyone, it's like, how would he know if he didn't already incinerate him? You know, they can be waiting. It's like, he's just hiding somewhere. He's hiding in a cave. But it's like, no, you torched him like, you know, three days ago. You just don't realize it. So then Damon, he gets hit in the shoulder by like a flaming arrow. So he like pulls it out. He's injured and he like flies away. So, you know, he's like a little overconfident or whatever. Not really, probably not the most skilled tactic or whatever. And then we see the king. The king has a two-year-old son. So it's like, what the heck? Time jump. They did a time jump here. This other dude talks to Otto, and he's saying how it's time for the king to name his, him his heir, you know, since he's the king's firstborn son. Otto says he's like, well, I don't know that his grace sees it so clearly. And a dude says, well, then it lies with you to make him see it. So, and then the king is told that a, a crab feeder's attack, um, that he sabotaged their fleet under the cover of dark. And the king's like, not today. He's like, I just want to celebrate you know, my son, it's supposed to be like second naming day or something like that, where I guess you give your kid this, their second name. I don't know the old traditions of the old timey, whatever. But then a dude's like, it's a matter of the stepstones. You know, it's re- regrettably urgent. So the stepstones must be this region or something like that. Again, I don't know anything about Game of Thrones, so don't get mad at me, please. <laughs> but then the king's like, it's been three years. It's like, you know, it can wait another uh, three days or something like that. So there's like this, kind of big feast sit, sitting on, on the, the table. And they're also like planning some trip or something like that. The king, he asked someone else, he's like, has anyone seen Rhaenyra? 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 I don't know why whenever I, when I'm watching it, I got her name in her head. But then after I totally forget Rhaenyra, that doesn't sound right. His daughter. And someone's like, I have not your grace. And others, you know, try telling the king, you know, the, the suffering the forces are facing, the seeds of dissent are sown amongst the rank and file. Damon is driving his men hard and they've begun to question his command. So it seems that Damon and Corliss have started the war without the king's word. So he's like, you know, if we were to intervene now after so long, it would, I guess, would be kind of weird or something like that, you know, with all the etiquette and procedures or whatever. So the king, he's just, he's like, well, where is Rhaenyra? So she's out reading under a tree and this minstrel dude singing on the other side of the tree. And then he's finished sighing and she's like, again. So he, she's making him sing the same song over. Allison comes out. She's pregnant. So they've had one kid, a son. She's pregnant with another kid now. Then her son, I, whatever, I, what did I say, two years old? So the, the minstrel stands up when he sees her and he calls out to her or something like that. She's like, your presence is requested because you know Rainier is like yes my queen kind of a little, little sarcastically not really so she's like your president requested the royal hunt is ready to depart Rainier says that she's decided to remain here and read instead Allison dismisses the singer but Rainier tells him to stay by order the princess Allison says the queen commands you to leave the godswood at once so she says that the king wishes for her to join them Rainier says that he has much to celebrate and doesn't need her you know, he wants, she says, but he wants for all of them to be together. The hunt could be fun. Rainier asks if it's the, the king's command or something like that. Then she, you know, so she gets up. Allison says, you know, it needn't be a command, but then Rainier just like walks past her. So she's still a little upset by, you know, what's going on, I guess, even though it's been two years, three years. So they, they ride out in this carriage, it's bumpy. And Rainier asks Allison, she's like, should you be out in your condition? And does that son's name is Aegon, A-E-G-O-N. But the king, you know, he says to Rhaenyra, he's like, oh, you'll have your own, you know, soon or something like that. And Alicent's like, it's not all bad or whatever. But Rhaenyra doesn't like re- reply to her. 
so the, the king says that Rainier should ride out with him on the hunt, but she says that she would rather not because the, the boars squeal like children when they're being slaughtered. And he says that she needs a ride out because she's the princess. You know, she has duties and she mutters, which I am ceaselessly reminded. And he's like, he asked her to repeat that. And she does loudly. And he's like, well, you wouldn't need to be reminded if you ever attended them. And she's just like, she's like, no one's here for me. You know, so it's like, you know, why am I here? It's, it's all about his son, you know, the second naming or whatever. So they arrive at the hunting um, camp place, whatever. They get out of the carriage and people are clapping or something like that. So, so again, it's this second name day festival celebration. I don't know. Rainier is like walking around this big room and someone says that uh, Lady Joanna has been abducted or something like that. And they're talking about the stepstones and, and then they see Rainier. They're like, oh, maybe you can provide some insight. It's like, you know, your dear uncle is the great mind behind this war, wasn't he? And she's like, I wouldn't know. She's like, I haven't spoken to Damon in years. And then this Lady Sierra or something like that, she's kind of rudely says, since you supplanted him as heir, Allison says, you know, Damon made his choices and the princess was more suited for the role. Sierra says, that, well, the king should put an end to it and clear out the land. Rainier says, but the crown isn't at war. And then she's like, the crown is at war, princess, though your father refuses to admit it. So she's getting all kind of like sassy and everything like this. Like, who is this like uptight old lady with her little dog? So she's like, you know, she's like, they've all been dragged into it by her uncle and a sea snake, which is that Coralist dude. And Rainier asks, and how have you served the realm of late Lady Redwind by eating cake? And then there's just kind of silence and her little pug like finishes the last bite on her plate and Rainier just like walks away. You know, pause right here, time out. I have to say like, you know, we're in the third episode. I'm, I'm starting to like this actress playing Rainier like more and more. I'm really bummed because, you know, we're going to, it came out recently that there's going to be recast or recasting the characters because there's going to be, a, you know, a, another time jump and they're going to be older. And since these, some of these actors are young, they, you know, the, some of the other actors like the Reese, Yvonne, you know, they'll, they're just put some makeup on them, make them a little bit older. But with these younger actors, obviously they, they can't do that. So it's going to be kind of a bummer because I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm digging her, just whole, her delivery and her attitude and her sass. So outside this dude's talks to her and he says that he's Lord Jason Lannister I don't know or remember much. I've, so what? I've, I think I'm on season three or four. I don't even remember where I'm at in Game of Thrones. The Lannister name sounds familiar. So I'm, I'm assuming that's like something, right? <laughs> she says that she's like, oh, your your twin serves on a council or something like that? And he's like, uh, Thailandy is frightfully dull. So it's, it's you can tell he's trying to woo her, you know, or like, like just the way he's getting closer and like just reaching around her like, oh, look at this or whatever. And he says that, you know, he doesn't have a dragon pit, but he has the means to make to have one built for his queen or his lady wife. You know, he gave her some wife's some wine before. It's supposed to be like this really good wine or something like that. So she's like, she gives them the cup back. She's like, thank you for the wine. And she leaves. <laughs> so she goes inside the king. She's like, is that what I am? A prize to proffer to about to the great houses? And he just kind of pauses. And then she's like, he's like, you're of age, Rhaenyra. And Jason Lannister is an excellent match. And she's like, he's arrogant and self-serious. The king says that he thought that they would have that in common. 
So he, he talks sternly that since she's come of age, there's been lots of offers and she's refused, you know, at all of them or something like that. And she's like, that is because I do not wish to be married. And he yells, even I do not exist above the tradition and duty, Rhaenyra. So he's like, everyone's like looking at them. Otto interrupts. He's like, uh, excuse me, your grace. And, you know, everyone's staring. The huntsman sends word of a sighting of a white heart. So the stag is the king of the of the Kingswood. And he's like, so it's a regal portent for Prince Aegon's name day. The king smiles and Rainier, you know, she's, she's like, well, you know, she's already gone. And, you know, so he like looks around. He's like, where the heck she go? She's on a horse and she just like takes off. This knight tries to follow her. So it's, it's that um, Kristen guy. And he yells, he's like, like Princess Rainier is like, slow down. So they're like racing through the woods or something like that. He catches up. And he he managed to catch like pull get the reins and like stops it before they reach because it's almost like the source was just gonna keep running into this lake or something like that. So Kristen asks like what happened and she says that her father wanted to, to like sell her off to Jason Lannister and then he's like do you want me to kill him and then she kind of like looks at him and smiles or something like that. So you know part of me I I kind of wonder it's like. Is is there going to be some interest between them? But he's just a knight, you know. He's not supposed to be worthy. But then they they start walking. You know, instead of riding back, they're just like walking their horses. So it's time for the hunt. They examine the stag dropping that they found, or still fresh. You know, they're looking at, which is kind of gross because they're picking them up, whatever. Then Otto um, talks of signs and portents, whatever. But then it's time to eat. Jason Lannister comes up to the king. You know, he's sitting like on his little throne. And he gives him like this big, like it's not a lance, it's a staff with like a spear at the end or something like that. He said that he had it forged in some whatever valley for Prince Aegon. And the king says like, oh, it's quite a thing. And then Lannister hopes that it'll provide the killing blow against a white heart. He also says that he would be honored to take the Princess Rhaenyra to wife, your grace. You know, he, he's like, what, he, I offered a crown and your daughter is strength. Then the king, he's like, Okay, he's like, you think that the house Tarragon wants for strength? Lannister is like, if someone offered you more dragons, would you not take them? And the king's like, do you have dragons to offer? So Jason's like, Casterly Rock is a splendid seat. You know, she could take her seat in comfort and not feel shame for her loss of station. And then the king's like, what loss of station? Lannister says that if he were to name the young Aegon his heir. And he, then King's like, and when would I be doing that? You know, so Lannister says that he assumed as he's his, his firstborn son. The King's like, have your bannermen questioned my choice of heir? Of course not, your grace. It is your sworn, sworn duty to report rebellion stirring in my kingdom. And he's like, rebellion? He's like, no, there, there's nothing that. He's like, I did not decide to name Rhaenyra my heir on a whim. So he's like, all the lords of the kingdom would do well to remember that. Thank you for the gift. And then he starts drinking. So it's like he's drinking more and more. You can tell he's, he's getting a little little tipsy and everything like that. He's probably drinking more than he should be drinking. Otto comes in. And he says that the huntsman had found a trail and has sent out the hounds. So it won't be long until the stag is cornered. So it's like it's not even a hunt. It's like they're doing all the work. And then the, the king is just going to stroll up and deliver the final blow. So then there's like like talk of Jason's proposal, and the king says that the man's pride has pride, and Otto's, Otto says that you know it, he's not just uh, Rhaenyra's father; he's her king, so she'll do as he commands. 
But the king says that it's not his wish to command her. He wants her to be happy. And Otto says, he's like, well, you know, there is another choice, you know, one closer to home. And he's like, oh, and he's like, Prince Aegon. And the king looks at him. He's like, the boy just turned two. And Otto's like, yes, but it would cease the endless proposals for Rhaenyra's hand. The king laughs and Otto says that he's like, just betroth them or, you know, whatever. So this is a weird, gross, icky, just, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing when they're trying to marry cousins, you know, the, because of the bloodline. And so I, I guess their way of thinking is like, you know, if I have royal blood and then my cousin has royal blood joining together, that's royal and royal, so we'll be stronger. But like here, it's like siblings. And, and yeah, maybe they might be half, you know, siblings, but still that's incest and they just do not care about that which is gross it's just it's, it's just it's not okay it's not okay um Otto Rainier still isn't back so they hope that um she and Kristen are together that he found her because you know they saw him like right off the king says he's like oh if I forbade her, her to wed Jason she'd run off with him out of spite so then the, the dude, this other dude or something thinks that the Sea King's son, Sir Lanor, Lanor would be a good pairing. So again, similar to with the, whatever, Princess Lena or whatever her name was, that with the, the Valerian blood, you know, they're a noble family and they have the fleets and everything like that, that, you know, that could be a good thing too. We see Rainier and Kristen, they're sitting out by a fire. And he's like, he's been like pleading to return back to camp, but she says how it's nice out there. And, you know, he's like, his grace is probably worried. And she's like, do you think the realm would ever accept me as their queen? He kind of thinks for a moment. He's like, they'd have no choice but to. Then he, he hears something out in the woods. So he, he gets up, pulls out his sword, like walking towards the darkness away from the fire, walking, walking. And then something comes running bumps him, knocks him away. It's this big, huge boar. And it goes by the fire. Then it goes to Rhaenyra. It's like on top of her. And and then at first, it's like, I, I couldn't tell what was going on. But then pretty sure she stabs it. You know, she's under. It's like at her face. And then it's still alive. And it moves towards her again. And then she's like, she's able on top of it. And she like stabs it over and over again. And just blood like all over her. So then when the, the king's standing by this big fire, Allison comes to him. He's clearly drunk. You know, he's he's not like overly drunk, like obnoxiously drunk, but you know, he's drunk. Then he's talking to like Rainier and dragon riders and prophecies. You know, he has like some dream and he's hoping that they would come true or something or whatever. The next day, the huge stag is is roped and, and trapped. So it's it's just it it's so disgusting. I mean, hunting is what I what you know, I don't approve. People do do your thing, whatever. But it's like they basically have it tied on either. They're just like forced. They, they're holding it for the king to come up to it. So he takes a big long lance lance thing from Lannister. He walks up to it. They tell him like where to stab it, you know, whatever, for ideally. He stabs it and it's just like starts squealing. So I don't think, probably because he's still a little drunk or hungover, he didn't do it right. So it's still like squealing or anything like that. So then he's like, they're like, stab it again or whatever. And then it's down and then people applause. So then we see Rainier sitting on her horse. There's still like blood in her hair and her face and stuff like that. And uh, this other, this huge white stag walks up. It's you know, So you can see it like up this hill. Kristen starts taking the sword out. She's like, no. And it just kind of looks because this is the king of the Kingswood or whatever. It looks at her and it like runs off. So that that's probably means something there. 
then they return back and you know they're they're dragging this big boar like on this stretcher that they made and everyone sees them coming she just casually walks and she's got blood on her and some people i don't know i couldn't tell if they're like admiring her or like disgusted because that's not what the princess should be doing but then because like lannister kind of i don't know if he he like sneered is like or, but she just keeps walking so otto comes talks to allison and he asks if she enjoyed the hunt um, he talks about rainier being queen and the realm tearing itself apart she's like allison's like she'll make a great queen you know they all pledge allegiance to her and he's like that was before aegon was born and she's like am i supposed to raise my son to steal his sister's birthright and he's like well so then then she goes to talk to the king and he wants to or so she wants to talk about something and he's like rhaenyra and he says that she didn't enjoy lannister's company and she's cross allison says that she told him she's like i told you that she would be and he's like she's of age you know she doesn't have a choice and then allison sees this letter uh, like on a table it's, it's from Vaemon valerian so it's the sea king's or it's the sea snake's brother and he's like yeah the, the fighting in the stepstones or you know she's like can i read it and he's like yeah so lord corliss and prince damon are losing their war and the king says they're losing badly by all accounts then she says that this is a plea for aid, so why not send it? And he's like, because it's a war started by two malcontents unhappy with the decisions that he's made. So if he helps, what would that say of him? And she's like, is it better for the realm if the crab feeder thrives or is vanquished? So she's just kind of like, what does it matter? It's like, if you can go and get rid of him, that's, that's a good thing. So the next day, he sends a message to Dwarfstone, Rhaenyra hears of this and asks, she's like, are you sending word to Damon?" And Aid is sailing to the, the Stepstones, and she asks if he made the call for help, and the king's like, Damon would rather die. So he asks if she doesn't think his decision is correct, and she's like, it's of no consequence what I think. And she's like, as I'm often reminded. Then he says that Damon is a thorn, is thorn enough in his flesh. She's like, will she insist on taking after him? You know, and, you know, must everything be a battle with him or something like that? And she's like, if he refers to his attempt to marry her off to Castle Rock, and he says that he's sorry. He's like, he, you know, he was trying to help. She says, you know, she doesn't need help. She talks about him replacing her with Allison Hightower's son, the, the boy he always wanted. You know, he has him in his hands now. So he has no further use of her, that he might as well peddle her for what he can, you know, a mountain stronghold or a fleet of ships. And he's like, you have misjudged me, Rhaenyra. And she says that they all know it. He said it himself, you know, the lords of the realm gather like vultures to a carcass hoping to feast on her bones. He says that it's true as rules that they must marry for advantage to forge alliances and bolster their strength. She's always understood this. You know, he himself was promised to her mother when he was 10 and 7, so 17. He says that, you know, he's like, but I did love her. And then he says that he does not seek to replace her. You know, she's been, you know, much alone these last few years, alone and angry. And then he's like, you know, I will not live forever. He's like, I want to be able to see you happy and content. And she's like, and you think a man will do it? He's like, family. And she says, you know, if it was for advantage, then you would have married Laina, Laina Valer Valerian. And there's a pause. And then he's like, that is true enough. <laughs> he's like, 
but you must marry. He's like, you must strengthen your own claim, shore up your succession, you know, multiply as to her match. He's like, make it yourself, search him out, find one that pleases you as I did. And she kind of smiles or whatever. And she gets up. So it's almost like he's saying, marry whoever you want. You know, just make a good choice. You know, marry someone who can give you strength. So I don't think he necessarily would be saying, go ahead, marry a knight. But he's saying, you know, marry someone who has some power that can, can help out. So, but then he calls to her. He's like, I did waver at one time. He's like, I swear now on your mother's memory that you will not be supplanted. So we'll see. Then it cuts to the battle. And someone's like saying that they have like 17 or, or 18 seaworthy ships, 700 foot and some 60 knights. Their food dwindles, save for what they can fish from the sea. They've asked for help, but it's like days away. They have to keep pushing. They need to get the crab feeder out of the caves. So they're, they're talking about having like human flesh, someone to go out and tempt him to come out. But who would go down there? You know, it's like they would be a madman. But then uh, what about Damon? <laughs> Corley's isn't like happy with him. It says that he's wider losing. So he's probably regretting going to him to start this war. Then he, uh, Damon walks up after you know, he flies in on his dragon. He gets off and he just kind of stares at them. He, didn't, he doesn't say anything. Then some dude comes up to Damon and says, you know, he's like dressed fancy. He's like, oh, we have word from his, his grace, Viserys Tarragon and blah, 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 king of this and this. He's like, names all these titles, whatever. Hands him this little scroll. Damon reads it, hands it back. He just kind of stands. And then he grabs his helmet, starts beating on a dude with his, his helmet. The others try stopping him. Damon just like walks away. So the letter said, brother, I have ordered 10 ships and 2,000 men to set sail from King's Landing to join the effort in the Stepstones. Though time and circumstances have seen us estranged, know that it is not my desire to see you fail in your cause. And we see like Damon's like in his rowboat by himself going like to the, the, where the Crab King is. So the, the letter continues. It is instead in my hope that this aid will deliver the victory that has thus far evaded us. I shall pray nightly to the gods of your safe return. So it's kind of a nice letter. You know, he's helping him. But Damon, of course, sees this as an insult because he, he, it's like he's basically saying, oh, you can't do this on your own. So let me come in and, and do it for you. Help him. But it's like he, he needs the help, right? So he, he starts walking through the battlefield. He's not even wearing his helmet. And then he grabs like, so like a, basically like he makes like a white flag and starts like waving it. So the crab feeder comes out and he's just like freaky looking. And he's got like this half mask. His skin is like discolored. It's like kind of, it looks like, orange. it looks like a crab. And he's got this like wide vacant look in his eyes. So he's just freaky looking. And Damon like takes his sword out and is like holds it like in both hands, like flat on his palms. And Crab Feeder, like, looks to the skies. He's probably, like, looking for dragons. Like, you know, is this a trap or whatever? Motions to his men. Then we see a bunch of archers, like, are getting ready. You know, they're, like, high up in strategic places. Damon goes to a knee, still has a sword up in the air, like, in an offering. Skies come up. It's taken. You know, they, they grab his sword. But then he stabs a guy, grabs his sword, starts hacking away. Arrows are flying. And he's, like, running and ducking and hiding. And it, it's, it's almost kind of smart. You know, it's like a bunch of arrows comes. And then he, like... You know, he ducks for that, probably knowing that, okay, they, they release the arrows and then they have to like reload, even though it's not going to take that long, but you know, they have to reload and, and aim. 
So he hacks at some more men. More men are coming out of the caves. More hacking, slashing. He gets hit by like three arrows, like one in the leg and like two in the torsos. He like ducks under the structure. He's clearly in pain. And then more men are coming out. It's like there's, he's toast. There's no way. He struggles to get up. And then they, they start coming after him. He's surrounded. They're like circle around him. Then Coralise's men come, and then uh, fire starts coming down. Someone's on a dragon. Uh, I don't know if we're supposed to know who it is. I, I couldn't tell. Then Damon sees the crab feeder just walk back into the cave. So Damon gets up, goes there, and then we see him come out of the cave, and he's dragging the cat crab feeder's upper torso, intestines just, like, dragging behind him. He's covered in blood, and he just, like, stares at the others. So it's like, dude, you just showed that you could take out the crab feeder on your own without all this reinforcement. Totally crazy. But then the other thing is like, okay, you just did this. Why couldn't you do this before? You know, why is it once the king's finally like, okay, I'm coming to help you, he decides to, to go all out and do this. So it's like, have you been holding back? So it was, it was pretty crazy. And uh, yeah, so that was the end of the episode. So that, that fight scene was, 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 was something. And a new level of respect for for Prince Damon. I I thought he was just too hoity-toity and whatever, but no, he's he's not playing games. So that's not good for the king. Okay, then The Patient, season one, episode three. It's only one season. See, episode three, Issues. Man, this this show, I just want to say again, I'm I'm really digging this show. It's it's kind of a simple show because it it mostly takes place in this like basement room. You know, we do get some flashbacks of other other scenes, you know, and flashbacks. Did I say flashbacks? Flashbacks of other scenes. But I just really there's something a, a powerful about the 30 minute format. And you know, it's the same thing. I, I you know I've mentioned before, like only murders in a building. It's a 30 minute show, and it feels like they they cover so much in each episode. It just it keeps the pace going. I'm not. I'm not saying like House of Dragon or whatever, you know, should be 30 minutes. I, I there is something about the, the hour long shows, you know, you you get a lot of content and you want that, especially when, you know, you only have like 10 episode season or whatever. So, you know, the more you get, the better. But there's something about the storytelling when it's 30 minutes because you just get down to the action and and you don't have a lot of filler just to to try to flesh out this story. Because, you know, with House of the Dragon. There could have been some stuff during the hunt that maybe they could have tweaked or condensed or whatever. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations, which, you know, it's important, but you get what I'm saying. So anyways, with this episode picks up from last last episode, there's footsteps coming down the stairs. You see someone coming with a fire poker and then we see it's an older woman and Alan's like, hello. So this lady, she introduces herself. She says her name's Candace and so she's Sam's mother and she's like well-dressed. It's, it's so she's not like, like older, disheveled dementia, you know, whatever she's looks like well-to-do and everything like that. You know, her hair is very nice, very kept. And she looks almost not necessarily professional, but you know, she's, she's looks totally normal. So it's like, what is going on here? Then he's like, is this your house? And she's like, yeah. She's like, Sam moved back with, with me when he split up with Mary and he's like, or she's like, do you, do you know about Mary? And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't really discuss that, you know, because patient, doctor, whatever. And she's like, she's like, yeah, I know who you are. She's like, I loved your book. So she's like, when his father left, she started reading like self-help books and she tried having Sam read them, but didn't really help. And then she said that he should try real therapy. <laughs> so he's like, this isn't real therapy. 
And he's like, you need to unlock me. She's like, well, I don't have the key. Then he's like, well, then, you know, call the police and we can get help for Sam. She's like, I don't support what he's doing, how, you know, how he's doing this. But she's like, I can't turn in my own son. And he's like, I have kids. I have a son and a daughter, which that, that's I wasn't sure. I thought he had a daughter, but then we saw the son. I was like, wait, so did I miss? So, yeah, he has both. And he's like, they need me like Sam needs you. And she says, she's like, I know it's not right, but you have to help him. You know, he's my baby. So Sam's like reading and then a truck pulls up and Sam has takeout again. He's like, have you ever had pho? Is I think that's how you say it, F-H-O. And he's like, yeah. He's like, well, not like this. So he goes in the other room. He's going to get some bowls or whatever. He, he puts down like a notepad for, so uh, Alan could have paper. And Alan's like, when you were gone, he's like, I heard someone moving around upstairs and I called out and asked them to come down. And Sam's looking cautious. He's like, did they come down? And he's like, yeah. So you met my mother. And Alan's like, I was surprised because you said your parents were dead. And Sam's like, they're not. He's like, I lied about that too. Sorry. So he's like, one of the reasons he didn't want to go into therapy was because it's all mother's, mother's, mother's. He's like, my mother's not my problem. So then Alan's like, you need to, you know, you need to take that off the chain. He's like, there's no way to do therapy with the chain. It's like, I pose no physical threat to you. He's like, what do you think would happen? And he's like, you know, he's like, we could do this more effectively. He's like, there's no way it'll work unless you take off the chain. And then at one point, Alan envisions himself picking up like the porcelain water pitcher, smashing on a table and like stabbing Sam with it. But then he continues. He says that he told him that his mother took care of him when his father beat him. And he said that his, his father left him. He's like, how old were you? And he's like, 14. He's like, well, what do you remember? He left us and then he didn't hit me anymore. So then Alan's like, did you see him after that? He's like, no. He's like, did you grow up in his house? Yeah. Do you have memories? He's like, did he hurt you in this room? And he's like, if I was in this room, he hurt me. He'd, he'd say something. And if I didn't do it in one second, he would hurt him. He's like, and I didn't understand him sometimes. So he says something like, I, I forget what it is. His dad got a bunch of, I don't know if he said grout or something. He got like some discounts or all, all, you know, he got all these, these boxes and stuff like that. And then he's like, break them down. He didn't know what he was talking about because he had never heard that. And so since he didn't do it, then his dad beat him, you know, because he wasn't breaking down the boxes and, you know, he didn't know what he's talking about. And then, and he's like, Alan's like, you said your mother got it too. And Sam's like, she's a good mother. You know, she's like, she made me sandwiches every day. So Alan's sitting alone, he, he meditates. And then there's a flashback to his son's wedding. So again, they're like, you know, big Jewish wedding. Um, the rabbi says that, that Alan's wife, the mother of, of the whatever, I, I don't know the terminology, that she has words that she wants to say. So she walks up with the guitar, and the rabbi's like, oh, we don't have women sing. And she's like, she tells the rabbi, she's like, it's my son's wedding. A couple people like get up, and she, so she's like, I'm the mother. I'm, I'm also the cantor at Temple Sinai. I don't know what, what that means. So then there's another session. It's like raining outside. Alan tells Sam to talk to him. He knows that he's struggling with his feelings about the manager at that restaurant. He's like, is there anything that you can tell him? And he, then Sam's like, you should help me. And Alan's like, hmm. He's like, I have a thought for us. You know, your mother is an impressive woman, and she would clearly do anything to make you feel better. I think she can help us now. We are all part of a family system. You know, changes to those systems can have profound effect on us. It might be um, beneficial it, you know, if we did some family therapy work, you know, with you and your mother, 
And he's like, she's been through enough. You know, she doesn't need to be dragged into this. And Alan says that that's kind of him and his need to protect her, but it might be helpful for her too. You know, he doesn't have to take this next step alone. And, you know, she doesn't want him struggling with this alone either. So next day she's sitting next to him. You know, they're, they're all, the three of them are there. And she's like, he was always a very physical man. He was always, you know, it was a very intense relationship. Sam's like, he was an a-hole. And she says that, you know, he was a terrible father. And Sam, she's like, keeps interrupting. And Alan says that, you know, he has to wait. You have to let each other finish and not just say what you think the other person is going to say or not say. And so she says that they took refuge in each other. And Alan says, he's like, you were in this together. And you still are. It's like, you're bonded together. And he's like, Sam, you love your mother. I think that can give us a way to help you. Think of a new way that you can protect your mother as you struggle with this impulse to become violent. You can protect her by not acting on this impulse. So she can be free from this source of pain. So he's like, think to yourself, I will not do this so I can protect my mother. Sam just kind of nods and his mother sniffles a little bit and Alan hands her like the box of tissues and there's like silence. And she asks, she's like, will you do that for me, Sam? And he just sits there. He's like, just takes a, a drink of his coffee. He doesn't say anything. Then it's night. Sam um, pulls up with some food, sets the, you know, the chair down. He starts talking about the food without, or he starts taking out the food without talking. Then he finally says, pasticcio or something like that. Then he says that uh, the guy at the restaurant where he did the inspection, he's like, I went back there tonight. He's like, I figured I'd be okay maybe with you here, with, with Alan there. He's like, I was just looking at him. And Alan's like, how did that feel? He says that he got his food and there he was. Then he sat in his car across the street and he did like the whole thing in his head. Then Alan's like, you said with me here, is this a test for yourself? And he's like, I guess so. And Alan's like, looks like you did well. But then Sam's like, he says that he wants to teach him how to behave to other people in the world and he still wants to do it. Then after like a few bites, he's like, thanks. So Alan asked if it was like that with the other ones for him. Did they do something that made him want to teach them a lesson? He's like, yes, they were all, I, every one of them deserved it. So then the next day, Alan drives away. Alan's like sits and he hears like creaking overhead. He calls out to Candace. He's like, we need to talk. He's like nothing. Then like later, he's sitting on the bed. He's thinking back to the wedding again, his wife, you know, playing her song. Dudes are like getting, getting up and walking out. She's like singing in Hebrew. The, their son and their wife are kind of looking a little, I don't know if they're embarrassed or because I guess you just don't do this. You know, women are supposed to, I don't know if women are supposed to sing. I didn't realize that the Jewish religion was, was like that. I, again, you know, I don't know. And then there's like a, another, it cuts to this other shot of her like lying in bed and she's got like a, like her head's covered. So I'm assuming she has cancer. Daughter's like sitting there too. And, and, you know, I don't know if she's dying or dead. I don't think she's dead yet, but like she and, and Alan are, you know, they're clearly sad and everything. Then Sam returns. Alan's like sleeping and he like wakes, you know, puts his glasses on and he's like looking outside. Then he's shocked because he sees Sam dragging a body and like duct tape over the dude's eyes. And then you, they go in this other room and you can hear like more duct tape going on. And then Sam goes, closes the sliding door, leaves the room without saying a word. And Alan's just like staring in shock. So it's just like, holy crap, He, this guy he wants to kill, he brought him back there. So it's like, is he going to kill him there? Is he going to kill him in front of Alan? Alan can't say anything because if this guy ever gets away, and no, it's like, well, Alan wouldn't be an accomplice because he's chained, but 
it's just like, oh my goodness, this is this is just crazy. And that's that's where it ends. And that see, that's what I say. It's like it felt like there's so much, even though it's like so little. It's like so simple, but it's just it's it's intense. And I, I'm enjoying the show. All right, with Stargirl season three, episode two, Frenemies, chapter two, the suspects. So last episode, uh, the gambler came to Blue Valley. He wanted to make amends. He wanted to apologize for everyone. And then he gets killed. And Cindy Berman was standing over his body. So, of course, Yolanda, Wildcat, and Rick, they're like, she did it and everything like that. So it starts off, it goes back 12, 12 hours ago at the trailer park. We see the gambler arrives with his suitcase. Home sweet home. Lucky number seven. And he enters. It's definitely nicer on the inside, you know, because the outside doesn't look that great. He opens up his suitcase. Of course, this is so silly. His like combination, seven, 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 takes out the picture of his, his dog. And he keeps like talking to himself. It's like, oh, yeah, here we go. And, and it's like you're by yourself and you're just like talking to yourself. Although. I'm talking to myself. No, I'm talking to all of you. So it's not the same, right? He unpacks, irons a bunch of suits. Mmm, perfection, yes. <laughs> and he's like hangs them all up in the closet. Then outside a car approaches and it's Sportsmaster. Uh Gambler starts his computer search on his laptop, which was our last episode. Sportsmaster, he's like, it's it's payback time. He goes to grab his bat, like on a pasture seat, but then he puts it down. He's like, ah. Gambler's still going through his suitcase, sees his, his little tiny baby gun in there, and then uh, Sportsmaster peels away, and Gambler hears it, and he goes out with the gun to see you know who was out there, which I, don't, I didn't understand why, oh, a car peeled out, I should probably go check it with a gun in my hand, but whatever, you know, he doesn't see anyone there. But what we didn't see last week is someone else is watching, It's it, could that be the shade? It looks just like him. Then we Gambler goes back inside, tosses his gun in the wastebasket, and then the shade comes in, so it wasn't. Then it goes to the present at the pit stop. Uh, Pat, Sylvester, Courtney, and the others, they're talking about Gambler being dead. You know, So they're like, you know, who cares because he's a villain. Courtney's like, a man is dead, and there's a killer out there. Yolanda, of course, says, it's obvious it was Cindy Berman since she was standing over his body. And she said that you know, she went there to see if he had any connection with the lame robbery earlier. Sylvester mentions that you know, she was holding the gun. Courtney says, but Sydney said she saw the gun, picked it up, and it accidentally went off, which they, they, they do like a reenactment memory flash on the screen, and it, it seems kind of hokey. But the, Courtney had picked up the letter that he wrote to his daughter. In the present, Beth said that Gambler wasn't shot because the, the goggles couldn't find a bullet wound anywhere. Rick Stupley says, well, that doesn't mean that Cindy didn't kill him. And Sylvester says that, you know, whoever twisted that trailer like a pretzel had to be as strong as Solomon Grundy. And Rick's like, Grundy's dead. You sure, kid? Then Yolanda says that, she's like, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but Cindy's strong. And Courtney's like, not that strong. Then Yolanda's like, she's a walking science experiment. Who knows what else she's done to change herself? Court. <laughs> she's who? <laughs> just like the way she says it. But Courtney's like, Dragon King changed her, but he's dead. And Rick's like, yeah, because she killed him. Yolanda's like, if she really was so innocent, she'd be here with us right now. Yeah, but one, did they invite her there? But I'm sure Yolanda and Rick would be all up her butt, like saying that, you know, she's presumed guilty until proven innocent or whatever. Anyways, uh, Courtney mentions that Gambler's laptop was missing. And Beth says, yeah, you know, they've been trying to track it. It hasn't come back online yet. And Courtney says that that means that she doesn't have it or whatever, that, something like that, or he doesn't have it. So... 
whoever, if, if they can find a laptop, then Pat's like, we find a killer. And Sylvester thinks that he was killed by one of his former colleagues whom they're trying to reform. He's like, the fact is, he was murdered when he came back to Blue Valley, which is stupid logic. The former villains are all suspect, including Cindy Berman. And Courtney's like, mm. So Courtney then later sitting in a room, she's like looking at the envelope. She finally reads it because it wasn't sealed. It was just like closed. So, it's, you know, it's Gambler's apology to his daughter. So, you know, they start, you can hear him with his voice reading it. But then uh, it, the camera kind of pans down, like in the hidden tunnels beneath the city, whatever. Cindy's down in her dad's lab and she's doing some science stuff. Like her arm hurts for some reason. And she's like mixing these liquids and chemicals and she makes this like glowing pink liquid and she just kind of stares at it and like reluctantly drinks it. Um, Rick wasn't that far off when he says that, you know, who knows what she's doing to herself. She's still, she's doing something. Rick goes out to the woods to where he buried Grundy because he keeps trying to bury Grundy, hoping that he'll come alive, but he doesn't. And, you know, he just like touches the mound. He's still there. Back at the house, Pat tells Courtney that, you know, she's going to be late for school. So this is the next day. But she's sitting up and she's like, I read this a dozen times. And he's like, read what? She's like, the gambler's letter to his daughter. He didn't expect anyone to read it except her. So she says that she thinks that he was really trying to be better because he wrote about regrets. And, you know, she's like, she thinks about what she'd do if she got half of this from her father. So she says that she knows the others don't care that he died, but she does. So she's going to find a killer and she's going to find Becky. And Pat's like, that sounds like a plan. Um, so Sylvester wants to question some of Gambler's old colleagues. So they'll do that while she's at school. Then we see Mike and Jakeem. They're getting ready to del deliver papers. Jakeem reads a headline about a freak tornado in a trailer park leaving one dead. And Mike's like, this is the best thing that could happen to us. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, if we capture the killer, everyone will have to take us serious. And Jake's like, we're not detectives. And Mike's like, we are now. And then like Thunderbolt starts babbling on or whatever. So Thunderbolt, the genie is in the, the pen that Jakeem has. Barbara goes to work. His coworker mentions like, oh, Mr. Sharp is dead. And others talks to him or whatever. And then she goes to turn to her office. This nerdy guy looks at his watch. And he's like, you're three minutes late. And she's like, you're not my boss, Tim. And he's like, not yet. And then he's like, oh, don't be late for whatever the meeting, the board meeting, because wouldn't want you to miss me turning down your proposal again. And he makes like this ugly, sad face and then laughs. And she's just like smiles at him. So it's like, this guy's so annoying. And her off, she goes in there, Paula's there. And she's like, we didn't do it. <laughs> she's like, leaving a the body there? She's like, we wouldn't be that sloppy. Deposing the corpse is 101. And Barb's like, uh, just like, don't don't tell me about that. And Paula said, it's like, well, you know, we wouldn't risk going back to prison for some schmuck like Sharp. And she's like, being home with our daughter is everything. And then she's like, oh, speaking of her daughter, uh, so I heard things went pretty well at the JSA last night. Did Courtney mention it? And Barbara's like, no. And she's like, oh, I'm sure you'll hear about it. She's like, you know, we're doing everything to fit in. She's like, I'm even smiling. And I, I joined a Rotary Club. She's like, they want me to bake some like a German chocolate cake. She's like, why would they? Why should I bake it when I can just buy one? So then Barbara talks about how baking shows that you care and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, so baking means care? And she's like, that's interesting. She's like, interesting concept to her. Then she asks Barbara, she's like, can you bake? She's like, no. Then uh, at school, so at lunch, you're sitting at the table. Cause of death was, a, was because of blunt force trauma. Rick says Grundy is still buried. Beth says that according to the autopsy report, aside from the bruises, broken bones, he also had a stab wound right to his heart. The coroner, um, coroner <laughs> theorizes it was debris from the tornado. 
Then Courtney's like, it wasn't Tornado. Then Cindy comes over, slams her hands on the table. You had a meeting last night without me? And Courtney's like, uh, yes, but... And Cindy's like, wait, is this another meeting? And Yolanda, oh, I'm rolling my eyes, she unknowingly is like, yeah, about the gambler who died from a stab wound, you know, like a shiv. And Courtney's like, or a knife or an arrow. And Rick makes a, a, some comment about Cindy, Cindy too, whatever. Then Beth mentions the laptop, that the killer probably has it. And Courtney says that the sooner they find the laptop and the killer, the sooner they can move on. Then Cindy and Yolanda are just majorly glaring at each other. Then Cindy finally sits down quietly. He's like, sounds great. So it's just like, oh my gosh. And I, you know, I get, I get it, but it, whatever. Uh, at the diner, waitress Maria, she nervously brings a cup of tea to the shade. He sniffs it. He tastes it. Then his eyes pops open. My dear Maria, Earl Grey himself could, could not have brewed a finer cup. And he's like, he's absolutely delighted. He's like, and after 44 attempts, whatever. then Pat and Sylvester show up and start asking some questions. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's like a, it's almost like a two person booth. So Sylvester sits down and Pat sits in and he's like, scoot over, whatever. So they're both like sitting side by side and Shade's just like staring at them. He's like, you comfy? <laughs> so there's like this bad exchange or whatever, you know, between them. Cause Sylvester's just like so angry, which, you know, he kind of has good reasons, but you know, he doesn't, he's not aware of what, how he's changed and what's happened and all that. Shade tells him that, they had this bad exchange here at the diner. You know, they, they did meet there at, in this very booth. But then he went back later to say that he was willing to let the past go. The, you know, it's a time of uh, new beginnings for everyone. And Sylvester is like, I think you said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, stuff like he's like, would never say that. He's like, if I were to say something, and he says something else. And then Sylvester just like rudely grabs him by his suit. And he's like, bleh, bleh, you know, so like that. And everyone's kind of looking, whatever. And, and Pat's like, hey, come on, whatever. And so they, they leave. Outside, uh, Sylvester asks Pat, he's like, what's that? She's like, you're a sidekick. I take the lead. And Pat's like, that's not how it's going to work anymore. And he's like, what? He's like, I know this town. He's like, and the bull in a china shop isn't going to get you very far. Sylvester's like, we're talking about the shade. He's a murderer. He killed a JSA. And Pat says, he's like, we're talking about Blue Valley. It's a small town. And you just scared those people in there. You were just trying to enjoy a cheeseburger. And Sylvester's like, I'm so sorry. At school, Courtney's, she's in algebra class. It's like, what grade is she in that she's only in algebra? It's like, my eighth graders are taking algebra. And usually it's eighth grade is like a ninth grade thing. And I don't think she's, she's no way she's a freshman. So at least her sophomore year, if anything. I think she's older than that. Uh, so she's in algebra and she's kind of seems kind of distracted, bored, whatever, which, okay, I get, I can, can see that. Uh, she sees Sylvester in the hall. Like he looks through the door window. Then he like kind of motions her to come out and she's, you know, excuses herself. And he's like, you know, Pat gave me some great advice. He's like, I want to pay it forward. It's time to level up, you know, like in a video game. So then uh, Cameron, the son of icicle or whatever, He's he's in the art room. He's just staring at the canvas, and then he starts finally starts painting. It's blank, and his hand hurts, and he drops the brush. And I think there's like some ice in it. And then he gets up, he knocks a canvas off the the easel, and then Paul, the teacher, is like, "Cameron, are you okay?" And it's just like not like, dude, what the heck are you doing? And he's like, "I'm sorry." He's like, "I just need to take a break." It's like take a break. You even you you put like two lines on your your canvas. Then Sylvester and Courtney are, are going to train. So he wants her to learn everything now in case the killer strikes again. 
and he said he and he also wants to have some fun so first he needs to see what she can do so she does some stuff with flips and blah blah all this stuff like that and he like claps he's like oh maybe you should teach me so then it's hit his turn he just does like a flip and then twirls the staff a bit like eh, yeah it wasn't that impressive but then he like kind of holds it down and he's, his eyes light up and he like bangs it takes off just like a sonic boom or fireworks or whatever like that and she's just like whoa Paula and Barbara are trying to bake. The kitchen's a mess. Pat comes home. He's like, is Courtney here? And she's like, no, she's at school, isn't she? So I don't know if the school called or anything like that because she just ditched school. Sylvester calls. Um, he, he's like, I call that the shooting star. So she gets her, She She's going to try it. She pounds the staff down, but then she kind of gets blasted, knocked back. And then he's like, well, what were you thinking? What was going on in your mind? She said that she was thinking about not screwing up in front of him. And he says that she just needs to focus about all the good that she does in a town, everything, you know, all her friends, it's like that. So she tries again. There's some flashback memories, you know, all this stuff, hugging and blah, blah, blah. Her eyes glow that she holds the staff up, slams it down. Boom. Woohoo! Okay. Mike and uh, Jakeem meet in school bathroom. Mike wants to use a Thunderbolt. So he wrote down a wish you know he wanted to get the wording just right since you know the seems like these wishes are very tricky and you, since he can only wish once so he may, wants to make, make a wish to find a gambler for he wants jake to read this so but he goes blah 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 stuff like that thunderbolt writes on the wall like kind of glittery letter because they're like you know what's the gambler's name basically and the Thunderbolt writes, the killer has many names. So that doesn't help them. And they can't wish the same wish twice. So Mike's like, well, you know, we should get out of here before someone sees what you did. And Jakeem's like, what? So Sylvester and Courtney, they go over to Shades. Sylvester says that he should probably apologize, even if he is a douchebag. But Shade, like, walks up behind him. So he probably heard that. He says that he came to make peace. You know, it's like it doesn't clear he's a suspect, but he wants to make things right. Shade says that he wouldn't resort to gaudy theatrics like blasting the trailer. Then Sylvester brings up well, McKnight or whatever, and Shade says, I saved him. And Sylvester says, well, what about the other? Jay Garrick, Wesley Dodd? She's like, they died fighting you. And then he turns around and asks if Pat told him about his funeral yet. He's like, they had big ceremony for the rest of the JSA, but for you, it was just you know, for plain old Sylvester Pemberton, he's like, Pat was the only one there. And he, he's like, nobody wants you back. Nobody wants you here. So do us all a favor. Give her the staff and go. So then he called, you know, Shade starts walking like off the porch. Sylvester kind of summons the staff like out of uh, Courtney's hand. And then he zaps Shade in the back. He does like flip off, off the porch. And he's like, you kill the JSA. Courtney's like, stop. And the staff returns to her. So Shade's still on the ground, you know, because he got hit by the, you know, blast, whatever. And then Shade's like, check with Marie at the diner. You know, it's like, I was with her, you know, teaching her the, the art of tea brewing. And Courtney's like, are you okay? And then Sylvester puts out his hand. He's like, I'm sorry, but Shade won't take it. He gets up. He's like, I thought I could relax in Blue Valley, but, you know, you're making it intolerable. Courtney's like, well, if you didn't do it, then you can help us find who did. And he's like, I have problems of my own to attend to. And then he just like kind of shade shadow teleports out of there. And Sylvester's like, oh, I screwed up. He's like, yeah, you did. Sylvester and Courtney, they're at the home. Now they're sitting on the, on the sofa. They're getting a talking to from Pat and Barbara. And she's like, like, what were you thinking? Or Pat's like, what were you thinking? And she's like, taking her out of a school, attacking shade. And Sylvester says that, you know, he went to apologize, but seeing him at the diner and at the house, it took him back. And, you know, they, he starts talking about all, all the Calypso stuff and that they killed that, that 
wrong guy. The JSA broke up. They got back together, but they were still broken. And then they couldn't take on the ISA because they just weren't, you know, together. And he's like, it's not the shade I'm mad at. It's myself. He's like, I killed the Justice Society. He's like, why did I get to come back? He's like, why am I here and not them? He's like, I missed them. And he gets up. He's like constantly getting up and like pouting, running off. He goes down to the, the basement. We see Rick working on Hourglass. Beth's like, I thought you fixed it. And Rick's like, yeah, I thought so too, but the timing's off. He's like, I'm supposed to have an hour you know, with the super strength. He's like, lately, it's been completely random. It's like 48 minutes and six minutes and then 17. He's like, I can't have my powers drop out mid-fight if you know we're going to find the gambler's killer. Then Shade appears. He's like, more problems, Rick. He's like, I am sorry. He says that he's leaving Blue Valley for now. There are things he has to attend to elsewhere, which they don't mention what it is. And he's like, the town is too small for eagles, the eagles of Sylvester and himself. He wants to apologize and tell them not to give up. So then the staff is in a case. Sylvester's talking to him, saying that, you know, yeah, he should, probably should apologize. Courtney comes down. She asks if he's okay. And he's like, I'm alive. And she says that, you know, he already taught her so much. And Pat has too. But, you know, she says her, her whole life can't be Stargirl. You know, that was, the, that was the most important thing that Pat taught her. Uh, you know, she has to be Courtney Whitmore too. And he's like, well, you do have a, a, a great life. She says that he could too. You know, this town has been great at giving her a second chance and find out who she is. So, you know, it's good at, at giving second chances to lots of people. But, uh, you know, Sylvester doesn't think that Shade killed a gambler. So, you know, who else is there? Cameron then tells his grandparents, he's like, every time I try to paint, it hurts. And his grandma's like, you're destined for great things. And then, you know, he looks at it like a drawing of his dad that he did. So it's like, what great things to be an evil, like killer cindy's in, in front of like the big isa picture she opens gambler's laptop then there was a, like a picture like his avatar and she doesn't know the passcode so how did she get the laptop because they're always say like whoever has laptop is a killer so then uh paul is like punching a punching bag crushers do, lifting weights he's like it's only a matter of time before they find out and then she says that she knows and boom, punches a punching bag goes flying off the rope so what are they hiding so Cindy's hiding something. Obviously, Crusher and Paul are hiding something. So who could have killed the gambler? We'll have to wait and see. So, like you know, I, I like the show. It's you know not perfect, but it's it's just I, I'm enjoying it. It's it's a lot of fun, and we'll see what happens next. Okay, then Harley Quinn season three episode nine climax at Jazza Pajiza. It's like, okay, what's this going to be about? So it picks up from last episode. Harley, uh, Ivy, Clayface, and Dr. Psycho are still tied up. She says, to, you know, Nightwing and Batgirl, they're in Wayne Manor, like in, in the living room in front of the fireplace, and Nightwing and Batgirl. It's like, why are they there? Which is weird. So Harley says to Nightwing and Batgirl that, that Bruce isn't thinking straight and he's doing bad things with Frank. And Nightwing, the way he talks, this is so stupid the way he's talking about him. It doesn't makes no sense. Nightwing's like, Bruce sees you know, 10 steps ahead of everything he does, whatever he's doing, he knows it'll be safe. So then Harley's like, you know how depressed, you know, Selena breaking it off made him? And Nightwing's like, oh, please, he broke up with her. And Ivy's like, Jesus, he's never going to say he loves you, dude. So it's like, does Ivy know that Bruce is Batman too? It's like, does everyone know? It makes no sense the way they're talking, that they're, they're referring to Bruce and not Batman. They should have had Batman experimenting and not Bruce, but... I guess then that wouldn't have worked for the last up. I guess we're just not supposed to worry about that. 
then Batgirl's like says that he's been down in the dumps, but you know, Bruce would never do anything to put others in danger. Then he kind of walks in chuckling. He's like, well, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I'd love for you all to meet my parents. And then plant zombie versions with glowing eyes walk in. They all gasp. And he says he, he, that he sees how this looks, you know, a few more experiments and he's positive. He'll turn his zombie parents back into his very much alive parents. And then Dr. Psycho's like, he mumbles kind of like, it's like, oh, I got to get him on my pod or on the pod, you know, his podcast. They walk out, Nightwing turns to Ivy, he's like, you did this. And she's like, BS. She's like, Frank was only supposed to resurrect dead plants, not humans. So Bruce obviously altered Frank instead of just dealing with his emotions. She says that if he unties them, she won't kill Bruce in front of his dead parents. And Harley's like, what she means is that we need to figure out how far reaching what Bruce did goes. And Nightwing's like, we're not freeing you, whatever. He's like, we can deal with this ourselves. Batgirl's like over by the window. She like opens the curtains and sees there's like a horde of zombies out there. So she comes back in and she unties them. Ivy is concerned because Frank is out there too. Then there's like a knock on the door and barges open. Frank's there. Like, so he turned into a zombie, but then he says he was just pretending to be one of them to get there safe. He's like, haven't you ever seen a zombie movie or whatever? Frank says that he was, uh, he was planted into the root system around the house or something like that. So his roots reach out like sperms. Okay. Then he, uh, so he said, you know, his whatever powers, other stuff brought back all kind of dead a-holes. He doesn't know how to stop them, but he says, just stay the F away from their puke. It's like one of the zombies like kind of threw up and then it, it kind of changed into this other like plant thing, like grew out of the puke or something like that. And then uh, Dr. Psycho is like, hypothetically, like what happens if you come into contact with the cube, with the puke? He's like asking for a friend, but it turns out he got some splash on him because like this big plant branch grows out of his nose and then his hands and then he turns into a tree with a face on it. Bruce brings his zombie parents into the Batcave. Damien's just sitting on a chair playing video games, you know, a little handheld thing without even like looking. Uh, Bruce introduces, he's like, oh, and, and this, this is your, your grandson's Damien. Meet your grandparents, whatever. Damien just kind of looks up, walks away. And Bruce is like, teens, right? He's like, oh, right. You died when I was eight. Then Rob, Damien Robin goes upstairs and Batgirl's like, uh, do I want to know what's going on down there? He just like shakes his head and then walks into the other room. So it's like, could they not get the voice actor for this episode? Did they not want to pay the voice actor for this episode? Because he doesn't say a word. Clayface says that, you know, the zombies are headed, you know, he's looking out the window, he's like, they're headed for Gotham Central Park. And then Ivy yells out, Jezza Pajizza. So it's some like big three-day jazz festival thing. Right? She's like, oh, so sue me. So I love jazz. It's like, whatever. So Ivy's going to try to, uh, I guess, go into the green to see what she can do, you know, about all these zombie, plant zombies. So while the others hold off, you know, fight off the zombies. Harley goes up to Nightwing and Batgirl. She's like, okay, which way to the Batcave? And they're like, uh, what are you talking about? And, you know, and I, or Batgirl's like, Batcave, that sounds scary and everything. And she says that she knows what Bruce, that, that Bruce is Batman. And they're like, what? You know, they're like, Bruce, someone else? She's like some comedian or something like that. So she explains that she was in his head and he told her. She's like, you can keep this up or we can go save Gotham. So they go through the, the clock. Then uh, they go out, uh, Harley is flying the Batwing, and of course she's like screaming and laughing, and she automatically knows how to fly it. You know, maybe it's on autopilot. I don't know, but she's like hitting some controls and that. Ivy's inside. Um, zombies are starting to break the windows, trying to get into the manor. Um, while Ivy's in the green or whatever, Swamp Thing tries talking to her. Says that he can help her because he can sense her conflict. You know, this conflict inside her. You know, is she good or evil? 
but you know, she it basically, you know, he's like, you could do good. And then she's like, like uh, something about the, the white, the white privileged dude that uses this ability for selfishly or whatever. So it doesn't sound like she wants to do good things. Um, and then Ivy starts to change. So she goes through some power thing, whatever like that. Oh, there's also like Frank tries eating some zombie, but you know, he has to spit it out. Cause I guess it doesn't taste good, whatever. So Ivy is back from being in the green water she starts glowing in her change her costume her costumes look a little more like animated series style and and she's just kind of glowing and zapping like some of the zombies that have busted through into the manor now harley's like looking at control she's like where's the, the guns or the missiles or, and they explain like he's like we agreed as a family that we wouldn't have any weapons or that so she's of course upset but the funny thing is so Batgirl's on a motorcycle nightwing's uh riding on on alfred's old-timey bike that he i've I forgot the the identity he uses, but <laughs> it was just kind of funny. I, that made me laugh. Ivy tells uh, Frank that she found his power in there and she went in and she became part of it and became part of her so she can control the zombies now. Frank's like, oh, why don't you make them do this? some Beyonce dance, whatever like that. She's like, oh, that might be you know straining them too much. She's like, but I can make them do this. And she does like the Macarena and they start doing it. So she says that she can remake the city exactly as she envisioned it. And Frank's like, well, that's not what you told Harley. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, Har- Harley will want this. Um, they had called King Shark before. So he arrives at the manor to help. Um, no one's, it doesn't seem like anyone's there. But then Bruce walks in with the zombie parents. He's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I'm here to help or whatever. And, and then he like sees his parents. He's like, oh, I can explain. You know, it's just temporary. And, and he's like, well, I know, you know dealing with grief isn't tough. He's like, I'm still you know, f- grieving over my dad. And we didn't even get along. Then we see Batgirl, Nightwing, Harley. They're fighting the zombies. Um, Ivy is going through the city. She's changing all the zombies with her new energy. Harley sees that they're changing but doesn't know why. And she tells Batgirl it's, it's like they found a purpose. So it seems like the zombies are destroying like everything or everyone but not everything. And they see that Mama Macaroni's has been spared. They went there and Ivy had liked it, right? It was a couple episodes ago. So she's suspecting that Ivy's doing something. Then we see Mary Joker is at the Jazza Pajiza. He's like introducing what are talking about some band or something like that. Then zombies come. They start puking on the audience. Then Ivy arrives and starts talking to everyone. It's it's time, you know, the the world has spit on us. It's time to spit back. And today, you know, they announced that to the world that Gotham City is going green. Batgirl's taking out some zombies, but then she falls off her motorcycle. Harley saves her by plowing into a, a bunch of zombies. Nightwing um, hits a, a growing plant stock. Harley wants to try talking to Ivy because they're like, we got to stop her. It's too late. They're like, we know you love her, but she wants to talk her t- to Ivy first. Harley makes her way to the stage. Ivy says that their plan is working, You know, changing Gotham into Eden. Harley's like, this isn't exactly what we talked about. And she says that, you know, or Ivy's like Harley made her believe in herself and, and you know, to see the real her after this, everything will be perfect. And Harley's like, I'm sorry. She's like, I'm glad you found your inner confidence, but this wasn't the plan. She's like, innocent people are getting killed. It's weird how Harley sometimes is so compassionate. And I know she's supposed to be good deep down, but then other parts, she's just like killing without a thought. But now she's all about, you know, oh, there's innocent people. Then Ivy's like, well, plans change. Harley's like, I love you. This might be your Eden, but it's not mine. And then she jumps off the stage into like some puke that was, who's about to, someone about to get puked on. I mean, it was, I don't remember. And then she starts changing and Ivy's like, Harley, 
Oh no! So so King Shark's still with Bruce, and you know they're walking outside the manor. His uh, his zombie parents are following. You know Bruce talking about his emotions and stuff like that. He realizes he can't change the fact that his parents are dead, but he can fix this. He grabs a shovel like he's gonna kill them. And King Shark's like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "He's like, I can do this for you." And he's like, "Oh, you know, so so nice. Thank you." Harley is still screaming, ah! and Ivy's like, "Why are you doing this?" She's like, "I can't change it back unless I change everything back." And Ivy's like screaming, and then the green energy recedes like all over. Everyone reverts back, and then Ivy falls to her knees. Fudge, and that was the end. So it was a little anticlimactic, but okay. So we'll have to see. I don't know. Um, I think there's one more episode this season. So we'll see where they're going to go with this. I mean, hopefully, if, if there is one more episode, they do something. I, I, I tell you, man, this, this is just, it's like it's been dragging this. Conti- There's been continuing stories, but I don't know. Let's move on. She-Hulk, season one, episode four. Is this not real magic? So we see that this stage show, there's some dude, um, he's showing like the ancient art of levitation, but there's clearly like, you can see like a wire like behind his back that he unhooks himself. And the audience is kind of bored. He says his name is Donnie Blaze and he asks for a volunteer. So this lady, you know, young lady drinking, her name is Madison with uh, two N's and a Y and not where you think or something like that. So it's M-A-D-I-S-Y-N-N. So she goes up on the stage and then Donnie Blaze puts on one of those Doctor Strange rings and starts opening the portal behind Madison. And Kathmandu, Nepal, Wong is watching Sopranos because like he pauses the screen later and you see it says uh, season five, episode 12. Then Madison drops down with an, like, an actual heart in her hand. And is, I don't know if she's drunk or something like that. And she's like, oh, where are all the goblins? She's like, are you the goblin king? And he's like, I am not. He's like, where did you come from? She's like, well, I, I came from Fort Lauderdale, but now my dad lives in Phoenix. So I go there sometimes. And Wong cuts her off. And he's like, did a cut-rate magician send you here? Uh, not exactly. He sent me to a, dis, to a diff dimensh, and a talking goat helped me escape a lava pit in exchange for some six drops of my blood. And then she said she kind of browned out, and now she's here. So he's like, okay, she's like, I need to send you home. What's your address? She says she can't even remember. Then she sees that he's watching Sopranos. And then she, so she saw it, it was the ep- season episode, and she spoils. She's like, oh, this is the episode. I won't spoil it for you. This is the episode that Blank gets killed. And so she remembers that, and he's like, you just ruined it. She's like, I cried for three days. And Wong's like, Donnie Blaze is, is going to pay for this. So he's mad that Sopranos got spoiled for him. And crazy enough, some people haven't watched The Sopranos yet. It's like, what is wrong with it? How could you not watch The Sopranos? Don't be like Wong. You should watch The Sopranos. Jen tells us that we look happy. She's like, oh, probably because you saw Wong was back. She's like, everyone loves Wong. Then her dad walks in with like some stuff and like a shovel. And he says he's going to beef up security since she was just attacked. She's like, I'm a Hulk. She's like, it's not a problem. And she's like, what's the shovel for? He's like, burying things or digging holes or something like that. Then he's like, what did the police say? And she's like, oh, I didn't call them. And he's like, what? She's like, I'm a prosecutor. I know that it won't make, you know, do much good. So, uh, and he's like, well, what if they come back? She's like, well, then I'll, I'll deal with them and then you can use the shovel. At work, um, She-Hulk is looking at her super long list of things to do today. The last thing is to finish her dating profile. So she like pulls that up and she adds her Jen- Jennifer Walters pick from like the, the law office. 
Nikki comes in and puts on the news interview with She-Hulk and comments on her suit. You know, she's like, well, it's, it's hard to find something that, that fits. Then Wong appears unannounced, just pops in her office. It's like, it seems like so rude, you know, invasion of privacy. He's like, I have a legal situation of the greatest importance. So he says he's having an issue with a, a magician and who is not an actual magician. He's like, notice how he used air quotes. So he says that he was a former student of the mystic arts, but was kicked out after a week when he summoned three kegs and his former fraternity brother, Kai Dog, to the Carmartage. He's performing cheap human tricks in Los Angeles at the Mystic Castles. He's like, I notice I use air quotes. And she's like, yeah, I get it. It's not Mystic. It's not a castle. So he's like, lately he's been using their teachings in his show, sending volunteers to other realms for casual fun. And he barely has a grasp on the basics of interdimensional portaling. Without the proper training, it endangers people and risks the material and astral planes. So he needs to make an example of Donnie Blaze. He needs to set a precedent that no unlicensed person ever attempt to practice the mystic arts again. Jen's like, uh, it might just be a pretty straightforward um, you know, case. She's like, did he sign an NDA or a non-compete? No. Uh, was there a contract when he began training? Students pledge themselves to be loyal servants of the mystic arts. And she's like, uh, and did you get that in writing? No. So Wong says that they answered a higher power that abides by the metaphysical laws of the time-space continuum. Jen's like, sure, but this is the American legal system. No judge is going to take this seriously unless we do things by the book. And Wong's like, oh, the book of Ashanti. And Jen's like, no, the book of American laws. She asks if he wants to leave his information with her this time. He pulls out a blank card, kind of flicks it, and his name kind of appears. He's like, cheap human tricks. And then, but all it says is like, Wong, Sorcerer, Sorcerer Supreme, Master of the Mystic Arts. doesn't have his number or anything on there, so it still doesn't help. So then he opens the portal and leaves. And then at, the, at their bar, at the bar they go to, Jen's sitting with Nikki. You know, she's working on some papers. She says that um, she's done with Wong cease and desist. Then she pulls out the last of the Blonsky parole brief. This cheesy guy comes up. He's like, oh, the two lovely ladies like you shouldn't be sitting alone. And uh, Jen's like, well, clearly we're working. And Nikki's like, and since there's two of us, we're not actually alone. He's like, well, if you change your mind, I'll be at the bar. And Jen's like, guys like him are exactly why I don't want to date. And Nikki's like, you don't have to date him. It's like, there's plenty of non-gross people out there. Then she's like asking her to show her her Matcher profile because she's using this app called Matcher. And Jen's like, no. And then she keeps asking. So finally, Jen hands her her phone. And she's like, oh, my God. She's like, we're not using your corporate headshot as your profile photo. And then she opens it. She starts swiping. She's like, what are you doing? She's like, it's a numbers game. After about 500 matches, the real filtering happens. Then Nikki's like, uh, what if you made a profile, hear me out, as She-Hulk? She's like, if she's going to date, it's going to be as regular old Jen. Uh, you know, she, she's like, I already have to be, a, be She-Hulk in the office. And then her phone pings with the match. And she's like, see? And she's like, I don't have to date as She-Hulk. So She-Hulk and Wong are at the Mystic Castle. They're talking to Donnie Blaze. And she's like, you know, consider this an official warning to cease all practices of mystic arts. And Donnie's like, absurd. You can't own magic. And this other guy's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who this older guy was, like his mentor or something like that. But And Wong, he's like, is this your hype man? <laughs> or I think Jen said that. But Wong says Sorcerer Supreme doesn't engage in, because they're, you know, they're, they're tr trying to challenge each other like that. He's like, but I can do more magic than you in my sleep. And they're like, prove it. And then she hugs, stops him, you know, cause he's about to, his hand starts like lighting up. She, so she stops him and she, then, oh, cause uh, 
Donnie did something with the ball and he like, made it disappear, or whatever. And then as they're leaving, Wong like like the the ball comes out of his mouth. He's like, "Here's your ball." And then they like look at each other. They're actually impressed with this. The uh, Donnie and the other dude at the at the sports bar, um, different at another bar. Jen's on a date. They seem kind of bored. The, the dude says that you know he hates living in L.A. Everyone's so phony because he's a true New Yorker. And she's like, "Oh, you know, how long did you live it there?" He's like, 14 months." So he decided he couldn't be just a yes man to some stiff boss. So that's why he's an entrepreneur. And she's like, "Oh, in what field?" He's like, "TBD." He takes a drink from from his like beer bottle, and then he like he checks out two women as they walk by. Then he asks, "He's like, what do you do?" She's like, "I'm a lawyer." And she mentions she just started a firm downtown, GLK and H. Have you heard of it? And he's just like on his phone now. He's not not paying attention. So she's like, again, she's like, "Have you heard of it?" And he's like texting someone. He's like, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, "I know downtown." And she's like, looking at him. She, she realizes he's not listening. She's like, "I'm running a superhuman law division," and he's not listening like phone pings whatever and she's like because i have superpowers and he's like okay i'm a hulk mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then uh the bill comes the check comes and he like looks at her and he's like oh this has been great and then he like looks at the bill he still has his phone in like both hands and they're not making a move it's kind of like a stare down they both slowly grabbed her bags while looking she pulls out a wallet he pulls out his keys and he's like oh this is we should do this great we should do this again sometimes she's like uh-huh and then he gets on his phone and he's like oh yeah i'd say she's probably like a six at least she elks in court uh wong and, and donnie blazer there you know so they're saying it's gross ne- negligence the judge says that she finds it hard to believe that a magic trick could constitute gross negligence do they have a witness that could corroborate so wong whispers like no 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 and she hulks like do you want to win he's like oh fine he pulls out his ring thing whatever opens a portal to madison she's at some club drinking so she like stumbles in she's like wongers wongers then uh jen guides her to to the stand and uh the judge is like, you can't drink that here. She hands it to the, the bailiff. She's like, oh, you can have it. She's like, I, I'm, I'm not sick or anything. <laughs> so the judge asked her to, to say her name. She's like, Madison King. Madison with two N's and one Y, but it's not where you think. So they're like, well, can you spell that? And she does. So they asked about the night of Donnie's show. She's like, he gave me roses, and it didn't even smell like anything. And then he pushed me into a fire land. And she looks like, how'd you escape? And Madison's like, I made a, a pact with a demon that I cannot discuss. Otherwise, he'd reap my soul and the soul of all I love, which honestly is so dramatic, and I just hate drama. So then She-Hulk turns to Wong and whispers, like, okay, this was a mistake. He's like, it was your idea. So Madison says that she thinks that the demon's name is is Jake, and uh, Donnie's lawyer, he, you know, he, he says that he's like, oh, I know him or something like that. But he wants to dismiss the case. Uh, he's like, Donnie's act might be spooky and fun, but you cannot copyright magic. He's like, there's precedence. And She-Hulk says that that's for the card and trick and disappearing women who never speak. This is different because the mystic arts is, in fact, real magic. Donnie stands up. He's like, is this not real magic? And he like whips down his, his scarf. There's like a cloud of smoke. And then his white suit turns black. It changed color. And then Donnie's hype man is like, oh, it changed colors. It, it's, it's black now. <laughs> So uh, they start start doing magic too, like the the lawyers like pulling uh, like ribbons out of his his sleeve, his hands. The the other dude, the hype dude, has like a rope with a knot. He kind of does it, and it comes into. <laughs> and she's like, "I'll do magic." So then uh, the judge's like, "That's enough." And Wong stands up. He's like, "If I may say a few words, Your Highness." 
I like you call her your highness. He talks about the power being able to ripple so great it reverberates through every dimension, and that ripple through ripples through galaxies that has ability to destroy a life within all the known unknown universe. Then Madison loudly says, "Case closed." And the judge's like, "Okay, no, this case is far from closed." So she's like, "I have to review the motion, and then you'll have my decision in a few weeks." So it's like that's a long time. Then She-Hulk asks, in the interim, could she grant an injunction to stop the defendant from engaging in this dangerous behavior? Donnie proclaims that this is his life, his art, and he makes more smoke, and the judge is like, stop throwing smoke bombs. And she's like, and how, how do you get them through security anyways? So then, you know, he's holding like a handkerchief, and you can see the lawyer grabbing a rabbit, putting on a table. Donnie moves a handkerchief, and the judge is like, ah. <laughs> she's like... Okay, I have to agree, and you know you may continue your practice to practice your livelihood pending my decision. So then they walk out. You know, Donnie still has uh, the handkerchief in his hand. He's like, "I also have a bird." He like kind of flips it, and he's like flipping them off. So Wong says to She Hulk, "Can we send Donnie to the mirror dimension?" He's like, "He probably won't even die." She says that she would love to, but it would ruin her case. Then Madison says, "Wongers, can we get Froyo?" He's like, "No." Jen is working on a case at home. She asked Nikki if she can prove the brief for tomorrow. Nikki's like, uh, tomorrow's Saturday? Is, and Jen's like, oh, yeah. So that means today is Friday. And she's like, you're not in your pajamas already, are you? And she is. She lies. She's like, oh, no. She's like, I have big plans thanks to a lot of successful swiping. And she's like, I got to go now. And she like hangs up. Then her phone chimes. She's like excited. She looks at it. No new matches. And she's like, why is that an alert? And she just stares at her phone. She turns into She-Hulk, makes a new profile, She-Hulk. She's like, she tells us, she's like, I'm not proud of this. Does a bunch of swiping, puts the phone down. And then there's a bunch of chiming. And she says to us, well, that's demoralizing for Jen. She goes on a date. The guy is like, oh, you look stunning. He's like, uh, can I ask you, like, how much can you deadlift? And she's like, a literal ton. And he's like, oh, I just did 600. I'm not even a superhero. Then, then he yells, hey, can someone take our order? So it's like, okay, this isn't going to work. Next date, the dude's talking about his movie that just premiered at Sundance. He's like, it's about an actual lawyer. He, he studies constitutional law, and he becomes attorney to, for the vice president. This other guy, he's like, you know, I, I was a big fan you know, before we matched. And he talks about her battle with Titania. And then he asks... Uh, if she's invulnerable to the stuff, you know, like, what about this? What about that? And, and she's like, what about vibranium? And she's like, do you have some? Do you like want to practice? And he's like, no, no, no. Then he's like, oh, what a specimen. And he is kind of a creepy voice. And she's like, did you just call me a specimen? He's like, as a compliment. Then she looks at the camera. She's like, is there anything worse than dating in your 30s? Next guy's into medicine. And she's like, oh, is that code that you sell? Uh, some drug, I forgot what she said. Then he's like, oh, pediatric oncologist. And she's like, oh. He's like, I've been on so many first dates. He's like, I hate talking about myself. So like, why don't you tell me about you? And he's like, oh, and also, should we split some fries? And she's like, yeah, let's get those to go. So Donnie's on a stage with a volunteer. He opens a portal and she's like, uh-uh. She's like, I have a friend who went to your, one of your shows and somewhere and she got stranded in Pomona or something like that. So then he's like, okay, fine. He's tried something different. He like, makes a little swirl on his hand, and a bird appears from like the ring, flies around and lands in her hand and lays an egg. And everyone's like, oh. Then the egg hatches, and this little critter is in there, kind of jumps out, sort of like scratches her or something like that, lands on the ground. He starts like getting bigger and bigger. Then uh, so the, the portal in the floor, there's a, he makes a portal on the floor. It's like kicks it in there, but then the critter climbs out, and a ton more little demons start 
climbing out chaos in, in this this theater. Wong is watching. He's watching some movie. They're actually showing it this this time. You know, obviously they can't show Sopranos because that's a Warner Brothers thing. He's watching some movie. I didn't recognize it right away. I probably should. It's probably super obvious. I didn't catch it. Um, and then Donnie Blaze pops in. He's like, "Oh, I, you know, I could really use your help." And so Wong gets up. He's like, "Just for the record, I'm doing this for the universe, not for you." And Donnie's like, "What should I do? Call my lawyer." So she hulks. Uh, you're still talking about herself because you know this. Her date's like asking her stuff like that. Her phone's like buzzing, and she's just like, you know, turns it off or whatever. It turns off the notification, the buzzing. Then her buzz, her phone buzzes some more, and she's. He's like, "Should you get that?" And she's like, "Oh, that can wait." And she moves in to kiss him, but then spills the wine on him as she's trying to you know kiss him whatever so he like takes off his shirt he has like a like a white white, a white shirt underneath and she's like kind of looks because you know she can see his muscles and stuff like that he's like oh i spilled some on a couch too he's like i'll be right back. he goes to get club soda and then he comes back and, and then she moves to kiss him again and then wong opens up a portal behind the couch he's like why aren't you answering your phone oh i see then he he says that donnie opened the wrong portal and he needs her help she looks at, at her date. She's like, I'll be right back. So they go in this theater. Demons are flying around. And she's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing here. And he's like, be a Hulk. So she grabs one, throws it down, stomps on it. But it doesn't kill it. And she's like, they don't die? So she tells him, you know, she's like throwing them, trying to fling them back into the portal. She's like, these are technically billable hours. And he's like, I forget what he says. Whatever. So he makes this new portal. And they're flinging him in. She sees Donnie and his um, hype man guy like crawling around on the floor trying to hide. Then... Uh, she says, you know, she, they're like, they're doing all this stuff. Wong is like making this like energy lasso, like grabbing them, pulling them in. She's throwing them in, all this stuff like that. So at the end, she has one. She's holding the demon by, by like its, its hair, its head, whatever. And she's like, before I send this last demon over, would you agree to the cease and desist? The, the one hype dude, he's like, absolutely. And Donnie's like, maybe. And then the demon's like, rah, starts like growling and slashing at them. And Donnie's like, fine, okay, we agree. Then she's like, my office will be in touch. And then she, they throw it in. She-Hulk states like lying on the sofa. He's re- I think he's reading a book about feminism or something like that. She lands from a portal like right over him. And he notices like, oh, you have a little something like in her hair. And she's like, oh, that's just Demon Claw. And then she picks him up, carries him into the bedroom. And in the morning, uh, Belinda Carlisle's having his place on Earth playing. She's making like freshly squeezed orange juice. There's breakfast on the table. Nikki texts her. She's like, oh, I need the dirty deets. But first, you'll never guess who's making the news again. So she's like that crazy courtroom psycho Titania. Jen turns on a TV. She's as, as herself, Jennifer Walters now. So uh, on, on the news, there's talk of supporters of the free Titania movement. They're celebrating as a superpowered influencer has been cleared of all charges. And she's like, boo. The dude, date dude comes in. Uh, he's like, uh, who are you? And she's like, um, Jen, just not in Hulk form, just Jen. And he's like, uh, cool, cool. He's like, uh, unexpected. And she's like, I made breakfast. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. Then he leaves. So then to us, she's like, whatever. She's like, hot doctor's a cliche anyways. Then there's a knock on her door right away. She's like, ah, but it's this delivery dude. It's special delivery for Jennifer Walters. She's like, I can recognize process server when I see one. He's like, ha, ah, right. And so he opens this like gift box. It's a court document filed by Titania Worldwide LLC. So Jen's like, if she's coming after me because of her fight, she's delusional. He's like, no, no, no. She's suing you for misuse of a trademark. So she, you see, she trademarked She Hulk, and it's got TM. She's like, she can't. That's my name. She can't tra- trademark that. And he's like, well, you know, she did, she did it first or something like that. And she's like, oh, is that how it works? And she closes the door, or whatever. 
And then, you know, she took the document. Then she like blows a raspberry. She's like, kind of a bummer way to end the episode. Like, uh, but I bet there's a fun tag. It wasn't that fun. We see um, Wongers and Madison. They're watching a movie. I don't know what it was. Then she's like, have you ever had a tequila sunrise? And he's like, oh, yeah, I think so. A Long Island iced tea. What about blue crock crock show or something like that? And he's like, uh, what, what is that? She's like, I don't know. It's blue. A Manhattan? Yes. Slow gin fizz? No. Just vodka straight? He's like, I had vodka and yak milk once. Never again. Uh, do you have any of that here? Uh, actually, we still have them left from the wedding. He's like, yeah. Wait, what? So this is the part. Whose wedding? Did they get married? And she's like, oh, I'd love to try some yak milk. And she's like, what's your favorite drink? He's like, gin and tonic. <gasps> Wongers. And she starts like kind of doing this dance as she's sitting. And she's wearing kind of like one of those like animal onesie, like hoodie things or whatever. And she's like, I don't know if we can find, or, or if they do bottomless gin and tonic, but we'll find it. And that's where it ends. So not my favorite episode, not the best episode, but there, there's some fun moments. You know, I, I do, I do love the show. I, I do like it, but yeah. So there you go. And uh, the only cameo we had was, was Wongers, which was fine, but we've already had him. So I thought we would get someone else. So, and I don't know who, if we'll get anyone next week, but um, there we go. And, uh, there's only, I think, is there only two more episodes left? Which seems kind of crazy, but well, I don't know. That was this week's Shield Attorney at Law. Okay, then we have the Lord of the Rings, the Ring of po- Rings of Power, season one, episode three, and um, there's no rings again. I'm pretty sure. Am I completely missing the rings, or are they wearing the rings? I'm just not noticing. So it starts off, and first it started off uh, with, uh, now again, hopefully you, if you're watching, there's so many characters. This is my problem is, as I'm, I'm trying to keep track. It's like, okay, what was this character's name? And of course, I'm going to probably butcher her name, saying everything incorrectly. But we have Aaron Deer. I think that's his name. <laughs> I'm probably, probably not even getting it right. So he was the one that the elves who was uh, like uh, stationed. He likes a human which is a big no-no and then they investigated this hole he went and something happened to him so then we see him at first i'm like is he having a flashback because he he's like captured and because like last time he was in the tunnels and then he's getting dragged by orcs to this like holding area so i'm like is this during like some war i was like i don't even know what the history of what the area is so they're gonna make him like dig they're trying to dig these tunnels and stuff like that so it turns out that this is in the present. So probably when he was under in his tunnels, he discovered something. It was probably like an orc or something that grabbed him. They're making these tunnels because I guess somehow I totally forgot about this or just never knew it. So I'm, I'm assuming I forgot about it. It must have been in the other movies. But orcs have a thing against the sun. It burns them. So they're getting around by digging all these tunnels. And, and they're, they have all these slaves that they're forcing to do the work for them. Okay, then we see Galadriel. She's like the the, the big, um, I was going to say queen elf. She's not a queen. She's like the big butt-kicking uh, elf warrior with a, a ton of attitude and sass to do to take everyone out. She, you know, she, she wants to stop Sauron or whoever. You know, she, wants to, she doesn't believe that the, the threat is over. So she wakes up because last time she and Halrand were on this bit of a wreckage ship they're like passed out sleep and then there's other ship finds them so she wakes up on the ship 
Halbrand, did I say Halbrand? He's he's there. He's like, she lives. He gives her some food, and she asks about their host. She's like, are they savior, saviors or captors? He's like, well, they're humans. So they get let out onto the deck. The men are just kind of staring at her. And this one dude, you know, I guess he's a captain. He's like, uh, he's like, one of the Eldor aboard my ship. And she's like, what vessel is this? And he tells her, it's like, at ease. He's like, I'm obliged to deliver you to my betters. And they'll answer your questions. So she's like, well, what port are we going to? He's like, well, take a look for yourself. We're nearly there. He's like, we're going home. So I I think at she's and I totally miss it. I don't know if this is the case, but then she looks. I think he had her dagger, her sword from her brother, like on his belt. And you know, she doesn't say anything, but she's like, "Mm." So as they're sailing to port, there's like these giant faces carved into the mountain sides as they're they're kind of going through like a channel or whatever. Halbrand asks, he's like, What is this place? And she says, It's the land of the star, it's the island kingdom of Numenor. Um, there's like all these like stone structures and buildings and huge statues and everything like that. So they they go into a smaller boat, you know, they they get off and you hear someone's like, is that an elf? And uh, they're just like all staring. So there's, there's something up with the fact that she's there. They they walk through the city. She tells Halbrand that these men sided with elves, and as a reward, the valor granted them this island, which has changed much since then. And he asks, he's like, oh, do I detect a, a hint of envy? And she's like, no, not envy, sorrow. She's like, elves used to come and go from these shores. These people were like kin. He's like, what happened? And she says, Numenor began to turn away their ships. In time, they broke off all contact. Why did that happen? She says that they might be about to find out. So this guard um, tells a dude that he's like, well, the queen is occupied. And then he sees Galadriel. So they're like, oh. So then they, they go in. There's like a huge room with all these people standing around. I don't know what's going on. The queen didn't look preoccupied to me. So they're brought up to the queen. The queen, queen regent Muriel Hilbrand whispers to Galadriel. It's like, kneel. She starts to kneel and everything like that. And she's like, the queen's like, no one kneels in Numenor. Then Halbrand was like, sorry. So she tells the elf to speak her name or, or name herself or something like that. So she's like, Gal- Galadriel of uh, Nolador, daughter of the Golden House of Finar Fee, or something like that, commander of the northern armies of High the High King Gil Galad, or something like that. And Halbrand kind of looks at her side, and he's just like Halbrand of the Southlands. <laughs> so this uh, dude questions like a man and an elf together, and she says that they're companions by chance. They met on the open sea. Uh, says that their their captain delivered them to from or delivered them from certain death, and she's like, all we ask is that Numenor continue his mercy and grant us ship's passage to Middle Earth. The crowd starts murmuring or something like that, and a dude's like, it's been generations since the ship of Numenor was permitted to make such a journey on the, an elf's behalf. She says it's because the elves they were it's it's because of the elves that they were given the island and the crowd's confused like what like so she's like surely you can spare a few planks and a rudder the queen's like our ancestors were not giving anything they paid for this isle with the blood of their kin halbrand interrupts he's like what the elf means but galadriel continues then if blood be the price of passage i will pay it but one way or another i will depart the queen says i welcome you to try and Galadriel says that I have no need of your welcome. <laughs> the queen's like, you are quickly wearing out yours. Gods. And Halbrand's like, my friends, 
It seems to me that our leaving presents some complications. Perhaps it'd be better if we stayed. And she's like, stayed? Long enough, good queen, to give you and your advisors adequate time to weigh our request. A few days, perhaps? This bearded dude's like, three days, and the elf is to be restricted to the palace ground. She says she will not be made prisoner, and he clarifies that she will be Numenar's guest. So Halbrand's says, Captain, my gratitude. And then he gives him like a bro hug. But then I was like, did he pickpocket the guy for the dagger? But then you see he still has a sword. So it's like, I couldn't really tell at this point. He tells Galadriel that they, you know, she can wait three days. And, you know, so they're like off on her own at this point. She's like, I'm trying to save lives or whatever like that. Then he like, he hands her a sword or dagger. So I guess he managed to pickpocket the sword off the dude in front of everyone. I don't see how that's possible. But then um, the bearded dude tells the queen that they should resolve this quickly. And she's like, what about the captain? Dude's like, his name is Elendil. He was one of the, of the noble lines, but he's now a sea captain. He has a, a son set to follow him into the service. So then we see the son and other cadets. They're training on a ship, you know, trying to tie all these ropes and, you know, the sails and everything. It's like hectic and, and crazy. He, at one point he's looking out, see, here's like a woman's whisper, like, is it your, is it door is ill door that's his name um and then this one dude he's like tr he's holding rope he's trying to tie it but then he doesn't tie it tight enough he goes swinging out and uh so is a door that i think that i don't know how it is he goes like running out grabs the rope and his others help and everything and he ties it so basically he like saves this guy and then they get off the boats they go to the beach and then um his sister a Aryan, a Aryan comes and it's like that and she has something to say i don't know so the queen goes to talk to the captain she asks about asks, asks his name and he says that it means something like star lover something like that she's like it has another meaning right so like in the ancient tongue of something or whatever it also means elf friend and she's like are you and he's like i am loyal to numenor and the queen says elves have not been allowed there since her grandfather's great-grandfather's time Yet he cho chose to break that rule. He said the sea put her on his path, and the sea is always right. She says that the sea cannot commit treason. He says that he only did what he felt was most prudent, and she says that if that's true, she must ask him to perform a service. So a soldier comes and gives him a sword. At the south Southlands, Aaron Deer is in the pits, and he notes that the passageways must be um, how they've escaped their detection and you know hide from the sunlight. Another elf says that Morgath seems to have a successor. I think they said his name was Adar or something like that, which is the name of the episode. Then uh, there's this big tree in the way, and the orcs tells him, like, cut it down or rip it out, whatever. So one elf says it's, it's been there before they crawled here, and it deserves its place. And then this orc's like, oh, you show strength. And he's like, you've earned a water ration. And he's, like, trying to hand him, like, this big jug of water. And he's like doesn't trust it because you know it's like what as soon as he grabs it he's gonna get beaten or killed or cut or so finally he he takes it hesitantly drinks um and and aaron deer drinks some this third guy drinks it but then his throat gets slashed so you know then there's like all this tension and stuff like that and aaron deer he's like i'll cut it down so he's just you know trying to make sure no one else gets hurt Galadriel, she's managed to escape her chambers. You know, people are looking for her. The captain sees her because she's like at the at the docks, or whatever, looking at ships, thinking about stealing one. 
and he says that he can't let her take a boat. Uh, the queen has charged him with seeing that she causes no further disturbance. And, and, th- and then it turns out he can speak Elvish. And he says that, or cause she's like something like, why would you know language when, you know, we're hated by everyone. And he's like, not hated by all or something like that. So she mentions, uh, you know, he, or he mentioned someplace before, I think it was, he said something about the hall of lore. And so she wants to go there and he's like, well, it's not that far from here. It's like, it's just like a, a quarter's day's, ride there or something like that and she's like oh you said ride or something like that so then they're on these horses and i don't maybe she just hasn't ridden a horse in a long time or something but she's got this big smile on her face as they're riding across like the countryside on these horses these stallions hill brad wants to work in a steel forge place because you know he eyed it when they first came in and he's like i'll do this whatever and like that but the dude in charge he's like until you earn your numenor crest it's like you can't so later, while he's eating in like this open, like whatever marketplace, this dude kind of gives him a hard time, and then Halbrad sees that he has a crest, and they taunt him. He taunts back. So then they they say that you know he's a guest. And he hasn't even shown his gratitude. You know all all this. He's eating her food and doing all this. So then, then he's like, fine. He's like, the next few rounds are on me, and then he he leaves for a few. He managed to, while well, all this shenanigans stuff going on, he managed to get someone's crest, and he's like out going through, you know, through his back alley, or whatever. But then they follow him, and this dude noticed that what he did. So there's this encounter in the back alley. He tries giving it back, saying, you know, he doesn't want to cause any trouble, but they're like, it's too late for that. So one guy kind of slaps him. The main dude punches him, and then he he gets. He gets up screaming. Hal, Hal, Hal Brandt, he, he gets up. He like headbutts the one guy, punches in the throat. He breaks this guy's arm, you know, pins it against the corner of like the building and snaps it, slams his heads against the wall and everything like that. And but it turns out one of them ran off to get some guards because <laughs> you're like such a baby. He's like, You started this. Galadriel and Ellen Dill are at the Hall of Lore. She says, Oh, you didn't say it was assembled by Elros himself. So I guess he was uh, first king of Numenor and a half-elf. So he's like, oh, yeah, of course you knew him. And she said that she was closer to his brother Elrond. And she asked for some information. So the guy shows her, or she had asked for something. So the guy shows her this account by a human spy retrieved from an enemy dungeon. And he drew this symbol to, like, record a tower's location or something like that. And then she looks at what what she brought and she's like that's no sigil she's like it's a map of the southlands so the the inscription on the scroll is like the black speech there's like all this writing and stuff on there so it speaks of a place and a, a plan a plan to create a realm of their own where evil would endure and thrive to be enacted in the event of morgoth's death by his successor so it's worse than she imagined. So if Sauron has returned, that means the Southlands are but the beginning. Then we see Nori and Sardok, the, the, the Harfoots. They're like dressed in these costumes going through the wood. They're chanting Largo, Largo, whatever. Nori's father, who he broke his ankle. He's still injured. And the wife says that, you know, he won't be able to pull the cart then. You know, it's their home and they're going to get left behind because they're about to like pull up and start, you know, migrating somewhere. Nori's trying to sneak a look at this important book, whatever. Poppy tries stopping her, saying that she shouldn't help the big man, the stranger. And she's like, 
Nori's determined to try to, to look and see where the stars would lead, you know, that he showed them or whatever. And then she finds a page that will help. Sardok talks to the Harfoots before they leave. He mentions, uh, they start mentioning the names of all who have they've lost. And, you know, like, we remember, or we wait for, you know, whatever. The stranger looks at the pages from Nori. Then, like an idiot, so just like during the, while they're having these, like, sitting around, talking about you know remembering all these people he's trying to read the pages and he's close to fire and catches on fire as he's trying to read it then he tries shaking it out whatever he gets up ends up stumbling stumbling and he causes his like tent to collapse he gets up he's covered under like the tarp or whatever and everyone screams then he like rips an opening and then he sees nori he says her name and they all look at her so it's like busted (laughs) So she's in trouble for lying and stealing and bringing the trager, tr- st- stranger into their midst. She says that she wanted to help and, you know, he was in need. Sardok says that, you know, she's young and she still has to learn. Their family will be coming with them, so they're going to be allowed to come with them, but at the back of the caravan. And then, you know, she's talking with her mom and, and she's she asks if she thinks she's special, whatever, you know, she's just a child and a stranger was listening to like all these exchanges. So the, if the stranger is listening to all this, you know, maybe he, you know, how much is he understanding? And, you know, is he, this, is this a good thing that he heard everything? Because of him, you know, Nori's getting in trouble. Elendil's son asks about Galadriel, the scourge of the orcs or whatever. And then Aerian, whatever, She's like, why is he here or whatever? So Isidur, Isildur says, um, tells his dad that he's thinking of deferring a season from the, being a cadet. He's not happy with this. Arian gets a message, and then she tells her dad that she's been accepted into the Builders Guild as an apprentice. And I guess she, I think she had applied before and didn't get it in, but she's like, Isildur convinced her to reapply or something like that. And but then he took off because I guess he didn't want his dad, you know, getting on his case. Galad Galadriel goes to see Halbron. He's in a jail cell now from his little fight thing. She says she's certain there's more to him than he leads on. So she says that she found a scroll in the Hall of Lure, and he like looks. He's like, oh, it's funny. He's like, I found it on a dead man. So there's a symbol. And she says that many ages ago, a, ba- a man bearing that mark united the scattered tribes of the Southland under one banner, the very banner that might unite them again today. So against the evil that now seeks to claim their lands, his lands, his people have no king for he is him. He's like, that's an odd thing to say to a man in a cage. And then, you know, there's, she says something else, but then he's like, be careful elf. The heir to this mark is heir to more than just nobility for it was his ancestor who swore a blood oath to Morgoth. I am not the hero you seek, for it was my family that lost the war. And she's like, you know, it's it's not fate or destiny that brought us together, but it's something greater. He must see that. And he says he just sees an elf who won't put down her sword. She asks him to come to Middle Earth with her. It's like together they'll redeem both their bloodlines. He's like, how? You're stuck on an island and you're short an army. She says that that's all about the change. So the queen, I guess she goes up to her chamber in this tower place, and she says she says to someone, she's like, it's here, Father, the moment we feared. The elf has arrived. So it's like, what does that mean? 
I don't know if I'm supposed to know. I don't I don't know. The Harfoots are walking with their stuff, you know, pulling their caravan houses, whatever. Nori's dad is struggling. Poppy had had stopped and was like kind of like waiting for them, even though you know they were supposed to be at the back. Nori tells her, tells Poppy not to fall behind. You know, she's like, Don't worry about us. Then um their caravan kind of starts moving and a stranger is behind it. So Nori kind of walks closer and he's like, friend. So Nori says that this is how they keep up with the others. So he helps them, um, you know, he helps them and they, they help him in return. So, you know, they help each other. The elves are starting to attack the orcs. They're, they're orc captors with their chains and stuff like that. And they're also trying to work on breaking them. You know, they have them all kind of crisscrossed and like hitting him with the ax, hoping that the links, you know, will, will crack or something like that. One gets loose and uh, tries to run, but he gets an ax to the back. Um, the orcs, pull their chains and Aaron Deer runs along the, the chains with an ax and he knocks down the covering. So the sun kind of starts burning them. This orc bellows released a warg. It's like this big wolf like beast, whatever starts like chomping on, on elves. Aaron Deer gets his chain around his neck, gets it trapped into the, like the tree roots. Then one dude, I wasn't sure if his name was Revion or whatever. He makes it to the top Arendir, um gets up there, climbs up, and he sees him standing there. He's like, wait, what, what's going on? And then he slowly like starts to turn, and he has like an arrow in his chest. And then he gets hit by another one, and he falls. So then Arendir is grabbed by some orcs, thrown back down, and an orc orders them not to kill him, but to bring him to Adar. And then the orcs are chanting, Adar, Adar, Adar. And that was it. So... I don't know. Uh, you know, there's just so much going on and I don't know what's supposed to be happening. And there's so many characters. It's, it's okay. You know, I, I don't I mean, sure, I don't hate it by any means, but I'm just, I feel, I feel like they know that there's a lot of story. And so because of the format they have, they're like, oh, yeah, we can just take our time. You know, we don't have to like rush through this, which you know could be in a, a, a good thing, but we also should be able to, see like where things are coming from and and so forth so that was it for this week okay then this week's movie feature is barbarian so barbarian was directed directed was directed by zach Kreger. yeah i'm not sure if i'm I'm overly familiar with anything from him but the the cast it has georgia campbell she was in a uh, Suspicion, which I, I never watched, and um, I forget what else she was, but it also has Bill Skarsgård and Justin Long. And somehow I, I totally missed that Justin Long was in it because he wasn't in a trailer. I only found out about this movie like maybe, uh, you know, it's less than a week before it came out where I was just like looking at the schedule, like, is anything coming out? I was like, what is this? What is this? And I happened to look, I was like, Barbarian, what the heck is that? And then, then I looked up a trailer for it i'm just like holy crap i i need to see this movie so this this movie um i really applaud it it when even when you watch a trailer you know the trailer looks like it could be kind of creepy and stuff like that and i i'm i'm all i'm totally down for these things where you know there's kind of freaky twists like what the heck is going on but watching this i i feel like it could easily just be totally cliche and like cheesy and not like really that creepy or anything like that but it's 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 crazy so what it's about and this is where 
I, I, I feel like I'm going to, I don't want to give away too much. I'm going to base it around the the trailer for the for most part and, and then add a little more to that. And then I'm definitely not going to, and this is like just like the first act of the movie kind of, it's, it's so I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So it starts off with this woman, uh, her name's Tess. Uh, and, and she, it's raining. She drives to this place. It's like Airbnb. She goes to the front. There's like the, the keypad thing. You enter the code and you, the key's inside, like a lockbox. Opens, finally gets it open. No key in there. So she's like, what the heck? And she's like, doesn't know what to do. She tries calling, you know, it's, it's after hours. It's almost like the middle of the night. So she, what is she going to do? She goes back to the car. She, but then in the car, there's a light on inside. So she's like, what? So she goes over there. She's like ringing the bell and everything like that. And then Bill Skars, Skarsgård, what was his name? It doesn't matter. He uh, answered her. He's like, yeah. And she's like, who are you? He's like, who are you? And she's like, I rented this place. And he's like, you know, I, I rented this place on, you know, so-and-so thing. He's like, no, I rented it on this thing. And so they get into this. They're like, were we double book or something like that? So, you know, she, she tried calling, couldn't get anything. And then he's going to try calling from his end. And it turns out it's the same number, even though it's like different things. So she, she finally, he's like, why don't you just come in? And, and she's like super hesitant, as she should be. It's like, I'm renting this place, and there's some random dude in here. And as, as a, I, I hate to say it, and you know, she kind of mentioned this actually comes up. As a woman, you, gotta, you, you don't just walk into house. And, and she's like looking around, like, is there anyone else here? Like, what the heck is going on? And of course, you know, this could be like this big you know, trap to do evil, nasty things to her. But she asks, you know, she's like, can I see your confirmation? Because, you know, she showed her him her phone or like that. And he's like, yeah, that, this looks right. So and she asks if she can use the bathroom. So And when she's in the bathroom, she does see that there's like shampoo that's been used. There's like his toothbrushes in there. So he's clearly been there for at least a little bit. It's not like he just got there like right before she got there. And then so she comes out, she sees his confirmation, and it's like that works. So then um, she's going to try to get another hotel room. Because, you know, at first he's like, I don't know if you've seen the neighborhood. It's like it's you should not be out here at night. It's like I wouldn't be out there at night. So she tries calling us in another hotel, and they don't have anything. They're completely booked. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember there's like a big medical convention or something like that. It's like I think everything's booked. I don't think you're in fun. And at first it's like, really dude and he's he's trying to be like really nice and stuff like that he's like oh he's like do you want some tea you know I, there, you can make some and she's like no i'm good and then he's like well i'm gonna make some tea and he's like i'll make you one or whatever she doesn't know what she's gonna do because you know where can she go there's like nothing around and then he's like why don't you just stay here she's like i know it's weird and everything like that and he's like you can stay in the bedroom. He's like, there's a lock there. It's like, I'll sleep on the couch. And then it, finally she comes around. She's like, no, I can't do that. You know, it's, it's not right to you. Cause you know, he paid for it too. He's like, oh no. It's like, we'll call you know, in the morning. We'll call them, we'll get free, you know, free, you know, rooms from both of them, you know, cause they, they messed up so badly. But he, then he's like, I'm like, call me old fashioned, whatever. He's like, I can't go in there in the bed and knowing that you're out here sleeping on, on a couch. He's like, that's, that's just how I am. I was like, I'm sorry. And she's like, yeah, I get that and everything. But she's like, I also, I kind of have a thing about clean sheets. Because, you know, he, he was sleeping in the bed. You can see, like, the, the blankets were all ruffled. So then he's, he's going to wash the sheets. You know, he starts doing all that. And it's going to take a while. 
so then she's like, well, I'm going to take a shower. So he's like, okay. So she goes there. Um, at one point, she's, she's in the bedroom. You know, when she sees his wallet there, she looks at it, his license there. Name matches, you know, same first name, whatever. She takes a picture of it. You know, always good to play it safe. She gives a wallet to him. He's like, oh, thanks, whatever. She takes a shower. And then when she, you know, gets dressed, comes out, he's sitting at the little table, like in the kitchen. And there's a bottle of wine because there's like a gift bottle of wine with like a bow on there. It's like to welcome them or whatever. He's sitting at a table with the bottle of wine and two wine glasses. And because he had mentioned the wine before, he's like, oh, we, you know, we should drink this. And she's like, no, I'm good. So he's sitting there and she's like looking at him and he's like, I noticed you didn't drink the tea. He's like, I, I wanted to, I was think was going to have some of this. I didn't want to open it when, basically, he doesn't want her to think that he's going to try to drug her. And, you know, he's like, I don't blame you, whatever. But she's like, no, whatever. And then what happens is, so she's there, she's interviewing to be part of this, like, documentary. And then he's like, oh, I didn't know who you should interview. And she's like, who? He's like, me. And she's like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm part of this organization, whatever, and it's like that. So they, they, things start to warm up, whatever. But if you see the trailer, and it doesn't quite play out totally like this. So at night, you know, off the bed. She's in the bedroom, locks the door. You know, it's just one of those little click, push button things. In the middle of the night, she, like, she kind of gets woken up, and the door's open. Now, it plays differently in a trailer, but... In, in the movie, she actually, because she hears something, she hears some noise, like, like uh, uh. so the dude's, like, in pain. Something's going on. He's having, like, night terrors or something like that. And then she tries to wake him up. He's like, he, like, startles her. And he, like, yells. She's like, what are you doing? You scared the crap out of me. And so, you know, he thinks that she's crazy and everything like that. Anyways, when she comes back, she, wait, why did she go? To, she ended up going down in the basement and she notices this, uh, there's this like rope on the wall, like coming out of the wall. So, she, you know, she's like looking around. She pulls it. She was looking for something down there. But anyway, she pulls this rope and this secret door opens like on the wall. And she goes to check it out. And, you know, it's like totally dark there. Oh, because then what happened, <laughs> the, the door to the basement shut. And the doorknob's not working from the inside. And and, she, and then she realized she also has the keys to the place. So it's like when the dude comes back because he left a note for her, he's not going to be able to get in because she has a key. and She doesn't have her phone. So she finagles some way to make some light. She's like looking in the hall and everything like that. He, eventually he comes back. She gives him the key through the window. He comes in and, he, and she's like, there is a room in there. There was a, a mattress, a bed. It was like a nasty mattress. And there's a camera and a bucket. And she's like, we got to get out of there. And he's like, wait, we'll slow down. But I don't know why he's like so like trying to get her to, to calm down and stay there and everything like that. But he says, he's like, just wait, just let me check, you know, whatever. So then he like never comes back. And then she decides to go check. She puts a chair in the door. Then she goes in a room or down this, you know, this hall. And then she kind of hears him. It's like, where does he come from? There's these other stairs that go even further down. And it's like super, she's got her phone this time. So she's got the light. She, he's like calling to her and she's like calling him and everything like that. And then he comes like kind of crawling up and he's like, there's someone down here or whatever. Anyways, then it kind of cuts out and it, 
totally goes. So this is like in Detroit, like outside Detroit. Then it cuts to like L.A. And we see like Justin Long. And it's like, wait, he's in his convertible. He's like singing and bopping his head. To, it's like, what the heck is going on? It's totally different. So he's introduced like th- there's a, a valid reason. So I really like how we get that whole part. And, and that's like all you see in a trailer. You know, and there's some other stuff about like some videotapes, like what what the heck is that? Why is that camera? What what's going on with this tunnel? And who else is down there? You know, this whole mystery thing. But then Justin Long's character is introduced, and and it it makes sense, like w- how he's tied to all of this, and and it's not what you think, probably, but he so he eventually is going to go out there, and then he's going to get pulled, and then it and I I really being hesitant here. Then it kind of veers off in this other thing and tells this other story like from before. So I, I really like the way the story is set up and like it's showing these characters. And then just when you think you know it, then it's like, wait, now we're going to go over here and talk about this. And and then you see how it all fits together and it goes from there. And um, there's just some kind of, I don't know how to really how to describe it. It's kind of creepy in a way. It kind of made me a little uneasy. Um, just like, uh, just like, oh man, this is just nasty and bad and what the heck and how are they going to get out of it? It's almost like we're man, they're in such a bad situation. I, I kind of just want to look away and it's like, sorry, dudes, you're on your own. I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> I don't even want to see anymore. I'm done. I'm going home, taking my, my toys, my baseball bat, whatever. I'm going home. So it's just really good. And it, it just, they did a good job with it. And again, whether it's cheesy or not, is it the explanation perfectly rational or feasible or whatever? Who cares? But I think it was a, a good thing. And uh, with some of the things that the characters do, and there's like, oh, there's something else that happens. <laughs> I just want to keep, I just want to go into details because it's just like, man, some of the stuff that's just like, holy crap. And and there's a couple like unexpected moments that you're just like, and, and some things are kind of for shock value, whatever, but it, it's caught me off guard. And I'm sure there's gonna be some people who are like, oh, I totally saw that coming or whatever. And it's like, no, you didn't. And uh, there, there's something, or what was it? There's something... Oh, it was like Samaritan. I saw like a comment on Facebook. Someone's like, oh, because of whatever. I totally saw the secret. It's like, there's no way you can start watching Samaritan and then automatically assume. There's no reason to assume that there would be a twist. It's not an M. Night Shyamalan movie. So you can't just say, oh, this is going to happen. I, I bet it. You might say, oh, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. You might have like 50 different ideas, and then one of them happens to be right. doesn't mean you called it. means you just like played through all the different options, which process of elimination, you're, you're bound to get it right. Same thing with this. It's like, oh, is anyone going to survive this movie? Maybe this character will. Maybe this one is. Maybe no one will. You know, it's, it's just shut up. <laughs> but I really enjoyed this movie. It's just really dark and twisted and suspenseful and freaky. And it's just like everything. This is exactly what I wanted when I saw this movie. I was like, man, I, I love a good creepy horror movie. And it kind of left me to facts. Like when I'm, you know, cause I, I went and saw it by myself on a Thursday night. And, you know, it's nine o'clock. It's, you know, not super late or anything. But then I just felt weird, like walking to the parking garage, going up the stairs and, you know, walking empty, you know, not really empty, but there's like no one else around walking towards my car. And not that I'm like freaked out or anything like that, but it's just like feels weird. It's like, what's going on? And then I had to go get gas after that. And it's like going, pulling up to the gas station where there's not, a, I'm just like, I feel like it's like, is, is there stuff happening beneath the surface here? And by surface, I don't mean like the ground. I mean, like just with what it seems like. 
And that's, I love the fact that that movie put that feeling into me. I was just like, oh man, like what is going on? And oh, so I, I highly recommend this movie. I, I think it's, it's really good. And like I said, it's like at a 92% or whatever, I, that may have changed from now, but I, I think they, they did a good job. Um, let's see. According to Wikipedia, this might be outdated. It's 92% based on 83 reviews, 7.710. Um, smart, darkly humorous, and above all scary. Barbarian offers a chilling and consistently unpredictable thrill ride for horror fans. Metacritic assigned the film a weighted average of 80 out of 100 based on 23 critics, indicating generally favorable reviews. So I, I thought they did a good job with that. And that's I, I feel like I said more than enough with that. You should see it. I enjoyed it. It's good. So you, you should check that out. And with that, that is going to be the end of another episode. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken for being awesome supporters. You can be an awesome supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm currently, I'm not going to be doing this much longer, but I'm talking about John Burns, Fantastic Four. I could keep going on. I want to do the rest, but I, I just, I want to read. I, I need a reason to read these comics since I have no time for anything, but this is like forcing me to, it's like, I got to do it for the secret podcast. But I, I do have at least a movie that I want to talk about. And I, I'm still on the fence if I should do more off my minds. I really don't know if people want to hear that, just like me going off about like certain topics or ideas or whatever. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment and don't want 30 minutes more of podcasts every week, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. This is a part of the time of year where things kind of start hitting, um, you know, just different costs. Like my, my podcast hosting fee from Podbean comes up. I think, I don't know if my Disney plus renewal because i do yearly that came up my uh, dc infinite thing i'm i don't even know if i want to renew that because that's you know 75 bucks a year oh man and then probably soon is like my marvel is going to come up it's just this is just killing me it's like too many costs but i'm glad you're here thank you for listening um what is going to be next week next week's main feature will be clerks three i'm looking forward to seeing this I uh, don't know how it's going to work as a, I feel like, you know, the comedy shows the, I can't talk about them as much as like a horror show or, or like, you know, adventure or whatever, because I feel like it's just about the jokes and, you know, I'm not going to spoil the jokes, but yeah, I'm sure I can talk about something. And then, you know, there'll be a She-Hulk and Harley Quinn, last episode of Harley Quinn and Stargirl and the patient house of dragon and Rick and Morty and, um, the Lord of Rings. They say that all that stuff. I don't think there's anything else. Oh, um, I'll try to watch as many Cobra Kai's as I can. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but that is going to be it for this week. So I hope you're doing well. It has been crazy hot. Oh, my gosh. It's like trying to teach in the heat. Oh, it's just been bad. Uh, and I've been trying to keep my classroom cool. I don't have air conditioning classroom. I've got a big ceiling fan, which if you're sitting underneath it, it is awesome. But... It's just been crazy hot. So um, I hope you are surviving and doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're taking care of others. I hope you're finding time to do really cool and fun things. And I hope you remember to be good to each other.